G Money. Yo. What's up, man? Listen, I, I'm I'm feeling the biased energy already. I don't I don't know, man. You know, is this how you feeling though? You good? <laughs> you can't do that because people say things to you and, and, and make you feel I'm just good. saying certain certain trigger words up here. When you're a guest on the show, you say certain things, that's it. I'm I'm on your side, man, the rest of the show. You can't do that. I can't? Yeah, you're on my side, man. How 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 you doing? I'm good. We had a long night. Yes, we're back here in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, feels good, man. Podcast took the script, you know, doing extremely well. But I'm excited about the next guest. Yes, shout out to my man Brian in the building. B. I don't know, you know, I don't know what he'd like to be called, but I call, I'm calling by his real name, man. He's the, <laughs> he's the connect. You know what I mean? Facts. You know how you doing, man? Shout out to Basky, shout out to Ebox, shout out to Michelle, shout yes. out to the whole team. Yes, yes. You feeling um, good? You all right? Everything good? Yeah, yeah. I know this is a big episode for you, for you guys. You know what I'm saying? Oh well, yeah, wrestling fans, of course. You know, we, you know, yeah. I'm excited. I dibble and dabble a little bit. Yeah, know? but you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm excited, man. But I need to get in the mind of the person. You know what I mean? Mm. But I, I don't want you to be biased. I want you to be unbiased. <laughs> all right? Because he and, said something about G Money is a, a wrestler. Uh, nobody. You, 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 don't yeah. press no sound effect, man. He don't know you. He oh, okay, doesn't okay, know yeah. you, man. Right, right, right. Wrong for, wrong for, you don't know him. But I'm excited because this guest actually, he, he said he doesn't do a lot of these, you know, so we, we, we yes. happen to have him up here. here we are. This is we an are. honor. So let's not even waste any more time, man. G Money. Yo. Episode 178. Nigga, we made it. We got a special guest. Oh, man. Exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. OG. You know what? This man right here touches a lot of people's lives in, in, in the wrestling world, man. You know, mm-hmm. we hear positive things about him. Hall of Famer. ECW champion twice. Mm. Was it five times? Not twice. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but without further ado, my man Tommy Dreamer, welcome, man. What's you, up, you, guys? How you doing? I'm doing great. I see we got a table here, too. We're all set up. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, chill out, Tommy. Slow down, man. Wow, I get excited. I haven't been... Now, now I'm getting a little nervous now. Hold on. Tommy, slow down. You're you, you, you breaking ankles of people that was in here. that's in here. You're doing a lot of stuff, man. How oh, are you? Welcome to Flip the Script. I am doing great. Uh, the best we all can do during these crazy times, but I get to hang out with my friend, Brian, and uh, brought my family down. They're chilling in the lobby because, you know, we can't really go out, so mm-hmm. it's a nice uh, way to spend a Saturday. Oh, thank you. Talk with you man. guys and my daughters. We're going to go walk around town and call it a day. Okay. Okay. Well, welcome. Welcome to Flip the Script, man. And, you know, we're happy to have you, and it, it gets a little it gets a little crazy up here, but hopefully you could uh Adjust to the margins. Yeah. Absolutely, always. That's I think he's do. used to crazy. You know, I, I see. Well, you looking at the table? You can't slam. <laughs> I hope you don't slam nobody through this table. If you want me to, I do whatever. No, oh. no, no, I'm good. I'm good. Okay, G, can you start off? Oh man, <laughs> I was on the side before. I'm a little nervous now. Yeah, light so, it on fire, put it in barbed wire, whatever you need. Ah, no, 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 stop that. Come on, we gotta talk about that type of stuff. Right. Come on with you, Tommy. Stop it. So you know. uh Let's go back a little bit. You know, uh, the, the people obviously know who you are. All, all the wrestling fans across the world know who you are, know your story. So we, we want to start from the beginning. Let's go back to, you know, your childhood. Tell, tell us where you were born, where you're from. Yep. Born and raised in Yonkers, New York. Why, yo? Um, absolutely. I feel I'm the most famous person from Yonkers, New York, never to be arrested. So that's my one little <laughs> caveat. Um, I grew up with uh, a perfect household. I had hmm. a loving father and mother my father has passed but my mother is still alive she's 80 um, still crazy like all of our moms are (laughs) and um, I had nothing but support my entire life for 
my life was, I was the most normal kid, little league, you know, everything until uh, one day, you know, when you're a kid, you grow up liking what your father likes, you know, what teams, and we're going to watch a Ranger game. Mm -hmm. And the Ranger game was snowed out up in Montreal. So instead, they had uh, this man's voice. Um, Vince McMahon was the first voice I ever heard in wrestling. And then here came Bulldog Bob Brower and Bob Backlund. And I remember just being like freaking out. And I didn't know what this was. It was from, you know, they instead they showed wrestling from Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. And I tell you, it literally changed my life. And I was so freaked out i remember like what is this my father was you know just telling me about it's wrestling and i couldn't get enough and man this is no internet this is no nothing you had a there was also like what five to seven channels tops there was two four seven nine eleven thirteen and the uhf channel that you have to like you know do the rabbit ears to get stuff your family had to stand a certain way don't move ma i gotta watch wrestling um and uh, I was hooked. And then for my 10th birthday, my father got me tickets to see wrestling at the Westchester County Center. And Bob Backlund wrestled in the main event. Earlier in the show, uh, the res- a wrestler who wound up training me, Hall of Famer Johnny Rods, fell into me in my father's laps. And mm. uh, I-, I remember, seriously, it was one of the greatest days of my life. And after that, and I've, I've said this story a couple times, I, I made a sign for Bob Backlund, you know, because he was my guy. And on old school construction paper. And I wrote Bob Backlund, but I ran out of room. So then I had to get another piece of construction paper. Put two together. And then put number one with scotch tape. So I remember him passing me and touching my hand. And I literally felt like I had a superpower. And I was there with my best friend. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, it was the greatest feeling ever. And then he wrestled. He won. And I was like. Bob, can you sign this? Can you sign this? And let me tell you, this was nineteen. This was nineteen seventy nine, nineteen eighty. There wasn't a lot of people who made signs. You know, it was it was much different. And he's like, "I'll get you in a little bit, kid. Get you in a little bit." And I was just like, <clears throat> "Okay, cool." So now the show's over, and I'm just standing there with my dad, and I'm just like, "Security's like, hey, you got to go." And I'm like, "No, no, no, no." Um, Bob Backlund said he's going to sign this for me, <laughs> and he's the security goes, "Listen." Um, the wrestlers, they leave out of there. Totally gave up right where the wrestlers were leaving. He goes, you can wait there, but you can't wait here. So this is like February, and I'm outside. Um, it was myself, probably three, which back, they're three women, but now I kind of think that back then they were three groupies, and two like other weird men in their 40s, and it was sleeting out. For some reason, 10-year-old Tommy Dreamer did not want his father to, like, I did not want Bob Backlund to see my father. So I made my dad wait in the car. And he was like, you know, he kept an eye on me. And then here came Arnold Skolin, who was Bob Backlund's manager. And it was, like, he gave me my first ever autograph on a program, which I still have. And then it was, uh, I'm going to date myself here, but there was a Mean Joe Green commercial back in the day where... Pittsburgh Steeler Joe Green you see him walking down there was this kid he's like Joe and mean Joe Green hands him his football jersey so I'm thinking this is going to happen to me so here comes Bob Backlund I'm walking he's got his velvet jacket on or and a towel 
And he walks, and uh, I'm having my moment. He's going to give me his jacket. He's going to give me his towel. And he's the ultimate babyface. He's the greatest wrestler in the world. And uh, I was just like, hey, Bob, uh, can you sign this for me? And he hit me up with the most important words ever to hit me in my life. And he was just like, I'll get you next time, kid. Mm. And I was like, what? And I was like, no, Bob, it's me. And he goes, I'll get you next time, kid. Arnold Skolan pulled up his either Cadillac or his Eldorado. They jumped in the car and they drove off. Mm. And I was devastated. I remember getting in my car. My best friend was in the back seat. And I was going to cry. My father knew something was wrong. And then he was just quiet. We drove home. And then as soon as my friend got out of the car, I was like, why would he do that to me? Cry, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then I hated Bob Backlund. I hated wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, before this, I think I wanted to be a New York Yankee because uh, that was, what, 77, 78. They won back-to-back World Series. The, the town was insane for the Yankees. I wanted to be either Greg Nettles or Lou Pinella or Reggie Jackson. But wrestling changed my life. Now I'm going back towards baseball and then we went down to florida for my father was a teacher and we had spring break and we went down to florida and a little advertisement in the newspaper was uh an advertisement for professional wrestling and my father took me to see florida championship wrestling and that's when my life truly changed because i saw the american dream dusty Rhodes. and i saw him wrestle live and i'm getting goosebumps already because i can remember like was just saying i can't remember I can't remember a lot of things. I've had a lot of concussions. But I remember when Dusty walked out there, I literally saw it was like a god. And this is no pyro. no This is smoky arena with a spotlight. And he had this bleach blonde hair, and there was gnats flying all around. And it looked like he floated to the ring. And I was frozen, man. I was frozen. And the mo- it was him and Bugsy McGraw versus Dick Murdoch and Ivan Koloff. And these guys had this... Dusty came to the ring with a plastic garbage can. Bugsy came with a broomstick. It was an old school. Once you go past uh, Washington, D.C., it becomes wrestling, and it was pro wrestling. And I was mesmerized. The match ends. I literally turn. I bought my first ever 8x10, which was Dusty, a bloody Dusty pitcher. Um, I bought my first ever wrestling T-shirt, Barry Windham, the kid is hot tonight. That does not fit me anymore. And I remember driving home and I told my father, I looked him right in the eyes and I said, this is what I'm going to do for my life. And I was 10 years old. Um, <clears throat> you also stated that in an uh, interview that your family might have been connected to the Italian mob. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, what, uh, what my that? grandfather and his brother worked the Brooklyn Piers for the Anastasia family. And they ran the piers. There was a big, it used to be a weird family heirloom. My father's brother knocked out a horse. um, And he was arrested for assault of a horse. Because here come the horse, there was the big thing with like, I guess they were the Teamsters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the Teamsters uh, blocked something with the piers. This is a long ass time ago. I never even met my uncle. Uh, He had passed long before. I was even uh, alive, but um, so I guess what they did was they used to take boards and they'd put nails through them and flip them up so the horses would step on it Mm -hmm. because here would come the cops with clubs as well as on horses. And uh, 
something was going on, then it was a big fight. The, the uh, what is that saying? A Pier 6 brawl. This is kind of where that stuff started from because different unions wanted to own the piers and the docks and cops would come in. And there was a big, uh, f- big fight, big altercation. And uh, my uncle knocked out a horse and it was on the front page of like the Daily News and the Post. And that was like a family heirloom that was like passed around. Like when someone died, like, oh, you got to keep this. And I guess they were kind of proud of it. And he knocked the horse out. Yep. My grandfather, uh, my second ever match, hit the ring. And uh, I, I got jumped by two dudes. My grandfather was tough, man. And then uh, I got jumped by two dudes, and I'm over there selling, acting like I'm hurting. All of a sudden, the corner of my eye, I see my fa- my grandfather come. He was big. He was probably about 320, not that tall, but he was tough. And mm. <laughs> uh security guard puts his hands up. My grandfather grabs his wrist quickly throws it behind him, grabs him by the throat, and he's carrying this security guard by the throat to the ring to get in the ring to beat up two wrestlers. And then uh, I'm like, Grandpa, no, no, right? This is, again, my second ever match. I had 110 of my family. They're, my family's all from Brooklyn, and there's from uh, Park Slope is my first side, and Bensonhurst is my next side. Mm-hmm. So you get a bunch. Of, I'm Irish and Italian, so you get a bunch of these people all oh, together, man. plus all my friends. It was a crazy-ass scene. And uh, so I'm like, Grandpa, no, no. And then the one wrestler, his name is Bill DeMott. He, you know, he made it in wrestling. As he's walking past my aunt, who's no longer with us, she's like, you're not going to make it out of here alive. And they're trying to get to a pay phone, and she's like, trust me, we're from Brooklyn. I'm going to get you. And yeah. he's like upstairs, like freaking out. I was like, dude, what the F's up with your family? And uh, I'm like, well, they're a little crazy, man. He's just like, so I remember like there was one, there's two more matches after mine. He, in his gear, he put on a mask and a towel. And I was like, I'll just go down and talk to them to show them that I'm all okay. Because you also got to remember, man, this is ni- my first match was 1989. This, this is December 3rd, 1989, my second match. My first one was October 28th, 89. And business is real. Like, I didn't tell my parents that this stuff was going on. I didn't tell them anything. Like, you're very, very protective of the wrestling industry. And I had to, like, come down, like, yeah, I'm sore, Maba. And, like, as I'm telling my family I'm okay... For the two guys that jumped me, they literally like ran out the back door. But you could, you had to go down a flight of steps and like kick open this door. Sadly, that arena is not there. It was right under the Brooklyn Bridge. It was called Gleason's Arena, and uh, it was right under the Brooklyn Bridge. Now it's a uh, a lovely parking garage. So that great piece of history is long gone. Oh man, yeah. Talk about how important that was for you, for your family and friends to come out and and, and be supporting you those first few fights, dude. Everything. Uh, my family was so supportive of me. We all need that in our lives. You need from your friends, from your family. Uh, listen, man, I went through my entire ECW career. I still lived at home. I w- when, a lot of people don't realize this, and I know I'm kind of jumping forward, but when ECW went out of business, I was 29 years old. And I had an apartment with, uh, she then became my wife, Beulah, but I had an apartment for her, but it was in my friend's house. I was paying him like $500 a month. It was like a, a, had a, you know, kitchen, bathroom, living room. But I lived at home my entire life. Um, 
if I didn't have that, like back in the day, there was WCW and there was WWE and they were making everyone jump. I didn't have to worry about bills. I didn't have to worry about a mortgage. I didn't have a family. And I always say real life gets in a way of your dreams, but I wasn't uh, living real life because I didn't have kids until later. But if I didn't have that, I couldn't have been the person that I was today and or would have been still wrestling uh, now. I'm, I mean, I'm still wrestling. I'm just 31 years. I'm very, very active. But you need that in, in whatever you do, man. Uh, I don't care what business you're in. Uh, if you're... You look at football, the NFL draft. Every time a number is called, your money goes down. And you look at your life expectancy as a football career, it's five years, three to five years. So you come out of being a football player, you're in your early 20s. And you may have that money then, but it ain't going to last you forever. Uh, If, you know, this is, I'm looking at this as more of a music-themed podcast. You need your people to come out and support you. You need your friends to help hustle and like, hey, you got to listen to this, you got to listen to that, just because... How well your friends are the ones who are going to support you through your good times and your bad, and you need your, that support system because there's a lot more bad, but that's part of your story to then when you eventually make it, and that's the best part about it because I was able to buy a house for my parents, and that was one of the greatest days of my life. I could live in a cardboard box, I could live in this house, this room right now, mm-hmm. but I was able to give back to my family that supported me, and that's really really cool for me. Real quick, going back to what I said earlier, um, <clears throat> did you see anything or witness anything as a child that's any like mafia-ish type of behavior from your family? Did you witness no. that? No. Um, it it wasn't, it has been blown up uh, a lot just because it was just, I guess they were, you know, they worked for um, like shadier people. I think we've all done some things in our life that we're not too, proud of and you know you have some of your boys i'll tell you this um my mom sings at church my mother's a very very religious person i had uh a wrestler named chris benoit sleep at my house for seven days while we're in ecw chris benoit murdered his wife and child and my it was all over the news it was one of the darkest days of professional wrestling and my mother calls me up and she was like did you have this Chris Benoit guy sleep in our house? And I was like, yes, Ma, I did. And she was like, why do you know so many murderers? And I was like, she goes, she goes, he murdered somebody. And then Jimmy Snuka was accused of murdering someone. And she hits me up again. And she's like, why do you know so many murderers? And I was like, I don't know if Jimmy did that, Ma. I don't think he did. Um, By the way, Big Dick Dudley killed two dudes in prison. And uh, another one of my friends killed uh, somebody. And she's like, why do you know so many murderers? And I was like, I don't know. Um, We're wrestlers. So to answer your question, it wasn't like I was this Sopranos type of family. I had had a perfect family. I really did. My grandfather, I think, did. This was a long time ago. But I think he did what he had to do to support his family. What does that mean, Tommy? I don't know. If you have to go pick up money from somebody and if you threaten somebody if they don't pay it's a long time ago i mean i don't i honestly like i don't know i know he was an awesome grandfather to me that's all that and he matters. was tough shout out to grandpa and i remember too i'll tell you another quick little story okay. uh i'm wrestling about 
20, 21, my grandmother calls me up and she's hysterical crying. And I think, and she's like just saying stuff about my grandfather. Now I think my grandfather died. Hmm. And I hand the phone to my, and she's like, where's your mother? And I hand the phone to my mom. <laughs> and my mom's like, what's the matter, mother? Go back and forth. And then my mother goes, Jesus Christ. She's like, hang on, we'll be there in like 30 minutes. Hangs up the phone. And I was like, and I'm sitting there waiting, like, did grandpa die? And she's like, no, he got arrested. <laughs> he was 76. And he used to hang out at a hardware store in Brooklyn. And when they needed help, or and they would pay him every once in a while. And the guy, he got arrested for assault on two dudes for... The one was 30, and the other one was like 28, and he beat them both up pretty bad. And uh, they basically asked him for screws, and you had to go downstairs, you know, these, this smaller place in Brooklyn, you had to go downstairs into the basement of the store to get the screws. Mm-hmm. My grandfather, again, heavy set dude, doesn't want to walk up and down steps, and he hands the guy the screws, and he's like, hey, old man. These screws are not the ones I asked you. And my grandpa's like, I'm sorry. He goes back downstairs, comes back upstairs, and hands him screws, and they're the wrong screws again. And the guy's like, what are you, deaf, old man? What the hell? And, like, you know, he's talking smack. So my grandfather goes, I, and he's sitting down, and he goes, I'm sorry. I, I can't hear you too well. What did you say about these screws? Oh, and the guy leans forward, and my grandfather grabs him. One punch knocks him out. His friend jumps on my grandfather, and my grandfather just starts. And then they called the cops, and there was a big. For about the next three years, he had a big ass lump on his head from when he got punched, which never healed. Which is, I always wondered why, and I used to touch it. And then now that you get older, you see like your body starts changing. If you get mm-hmm. like traumatic injuries, they don't heal normally. Like when you know back in the day, you get a black eye, it goes away. But he had a big ass lump for his head. So yeah, he got arrested. So uh, he was tough. It was different, you know, dude, old school, different type of tough. Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> you mentioned Chris Benoit just now. Um, <clears throat> slept at your house, you said, right? You, yep. You were friends with him yep. when he was alive. What did that do to you when you found out what he did? Like, did you, did you, because to a lot of people, well, to the world, it's frowned upon, right? It's killing your family, killing your child. What did that do to you, though? How did you feel? Did you feel like how everybody else feel? Or do you look at it from a different perspective? Like he had roid rage and I, not, not understand like you agree, but do you feel no, like basically how the world feel? Or are you mad at Chris Benoit? Well, number one, I was I knew his wife before Chris did. I was really, really close with his wife. Okay. And I'm also a father. I can... I don't want to make this sound weird. I can understand getting into such a crazy argument where you snap and something happens between you and your spouse. I can see that. I can't justify it. I can see that. But then to sit around with your dead wife for a day or two upstairs while you have your son and then... You give your son kind of, he drugged his son and then he choked out his own son and then he killed himself. So I cannot see ever hurting your child, whether it's, man, I just messed up and my, I'm going to jail 
my okay but you have he had a brother he has aunts he you know I can never see hurting your I can't see I don't think it would ever happen to me like but again I could see like this rage or you know if you come home and your wife's in bed with your best friend you're you're gonna snap but I can never see that with your child so it was hard man because I was very very close and I'll tell you something that a lot of people doesn't give the WWE credit for WWE offered psychiatric help to every employee that went through that because as normal as uh I guess I am to you guys or like we don't know each other but it would be like if one of you killed your family you'd be like you never saw that coming he was always like god bless I'm so blessed uh you know he loved his son all this stuff and it was just mind-blowing that that could happen it really was so you're torn because yeah it's your friend but then okay my friend killed my other friend and he killed his son like so then I couldn't see that so I couldn't I don't want to say I probably haven't thought about it since this interview but I couldn't forgive that and you know whatever your beliefs are I feel that he's in hell for what he did does it erase the positive moments that you have with him does it erase that does it sort of negate and make you look at things different because pretty sure that when you hear stories about chris with people that he was a nice guy he had fun but when you see him do that does that now does does it still it's always it's always going to stick in your mind so it will stick in your mind i'll go i'll go and watch one of my favorite matches is chris benoit versus two cold scorpio from uh korea wcw did a pay-per-view there Mm -hmm. One of my favorite pure wrestling matches. I could still go, if if someone shows me something on social media, I'll watch it. But I won't go out there and search a Chris Benoit match. Not because of what he did. I just don't want to be remembered for those memories. You know, it brings back a horrible time where, again, man, you'd have no clue. And then everybody was coming at pro wrestling. And everyone was coming at, you know, roid rage, like you said, and stuff. Their steroids don't like, hey, I inject steroids and I become like the Incredible Hulk. I think there's also been cases of him for the amount of head trauma that he had and, and concussions. It opened up the door. And if there was anything good that came out of all this, WWE instilled a wellness program mm-hmm. as well as there's no more chair shots to the head. Because, you know, back then or in the 90s, man, like for me, I would be like, you. I'm not going to put my hands up if you're going to... It was like a badge of honor. I'm not going to put my hands up for you to hit me in the head with a steel chair because we didn't know what concussions were. And now at least there's been advancements in life about concussions and more people have talked about concussions. Now, you know, back then it was just like, oh, I got my bell rung or I got this or I got mm-hmm. that. But now it's you can have an open discussion about concussions. You can have, you know, even today at times I just watched... Uh, a football player, Hayden Hurst, where you talk about mental health. Mental health isn't, uh, you know, it, it's like a taboo word or people talk about being depressed or sad. But now at least we're at least opening up these discussions where it's you can talk about anything. I tell people that all the time. You can reach out to me. You can reach out to not, I may not see it uh, or I may not answer it right away, but I've had tons of people reach out to me and be like, hey man, I'm in a really bad place. Uh, I'm thinking of doing this and it's, 
I've talked people down off the ledge just because I think we've all been in some bad spots in our life. And there's always tomorrow and there's always a good day because none of us are granted tomorrow, mm. you know. And every day that we're here, every day that um, even though, yeah, these are bad, bad times, we are we're all alive. Yeah. We're all hanging out. Today we are so blessed just because I have my family downstairs. I get to meet you guys. I'm hanging out with my friend Brian. What a great day it is today. And yeah, could it be better? Sure. I could be wrestling tonight. I'm not. But we have to deal with the times that we are. And look at you guys. You're entertaining people by what you do. It's not probably what you were meant to do or want to be doing, but you're doing it. So it's a good day. And you're making a little bit of coin doing it as well. That's beautiful. The way you answer questions is like it's, you you answer you flow well you're professional like you answer the question and answer like the next question we're gonna we, I'm gonna ask and stuff yeah, like that. I'm, yes, I'm, you're I'm good, but you ain't, you, you ain't better than me. All right, time. I have my own podcast too, so you know <laughs> you do you do well, I, I, and I see that. Um, real quick, you mentioned uh, Jimmy Fly Snooker. What was your relationship with him at the time? Superfly Jimmy Snooker, man. He was probably one. Of the, he was I say he was bigger than Hulkamania. But, really? Uh, oh, absolutely he was. Mm. He was, to me, the first ever must-see wrestler because he was so different. Um, because, and this, because of his bad choices in life or his demons, he would, wasn't getting that push up until... If you think about the first WrestleMania, originally it was supposed to be he was involved in that, but because he was unreliable, because he had... Uh, he had, I guess, an addiction issue back in the day, and but he was so popular. He was such this amazing wrestler. Anyway, with with Jimmy, I was the first guy to ever kick out of the Superfly Splash. Probably mm. the only guy to kick kick out of his splash, and he was awesome to me. He was an awesome veteran that did something for me to help me in my career. And another, like when I said, the thing with Bob Backlund affected me because I remembered how that felt and I still remember how that feels. And I always try to go out there and sign autographs for fans. And I remember being that dejected kid that no longer likes somebody I worshipped. So that's why I always try to go out of my way for the fans. And then with Jimmy, I remember what he did for me. I was an unknown kid. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. And, you know, the, my boss was like, hey, I want him to kick out of your splash because we had to do things differently because nobody ever did that. And when I did, like, you could go back and watch that show on the network or watch it on YouTube. The crowd was just sitting there like, eh, it's a regular match. And then when I did that, they were like, like, you literally saw people look around like, what, what just happened? Because for like 20 years, nobody ever did that. And when I did that, people, and then Jimmy looked at me and he was like, you effed up, brother. And they beat the shit out of me. He gave me four more splashes. I was bleeding internally, and uh, but just that that I showed that heart was just a a, a building or a, or a stepping stone for me in my career. Uh, later on, I I was always and I still am very very respectful for the men and women who've paved the way for me. But Jimmy was mad cool to me always, and uh, to say here's the best part about professional wrestling, like like Brian over here, my friend. He used to come and see me as a little kid wrestle. And the fact that we got to wrestle each other, the fact that we're friends is cool. Um, I always say this. Um, who's the... Uh, I'm trying to think. Roger Staubach, greatest Dallas Cowboy quarterback of all time, right? 
he can't hand the ball off to Ezekiel Elliott. He can't go and play today. But in wrestling, those guys that you grew up with can still contribute. You can tag with them. You can still do things. That's the like I've tagged with Dusty Rhodes. I've tagged with Terry Funk. I've wrestled these guys. Um, but it's everything for me. It's you know I go back to like that. Jimmy Snooker doing that for me is why I go out and do things for other people where they'll be like, hey, this guy, I somebody sees potential in this person. And it's a way to kind of give back to the business that's been really, really good to me. And Jimmy was my friend, mm -hmm. and Jimmy was an awesome individual, and uh, I love him and I miss him. Did when they found him or tried to find him guilty for the incident that happened in in, in eighty three? Did it change? Because you know, two thousand sixteen. Did it change your perspective? No, doesn't change your look on him at all. Because there's just, no. The, it's in life, and I know you guys know this. There's three sides to the story. Mm -hmm. There's your your side, my good, side, Tommy. and the truth. Because you're good. I like you, man. You're good. You're pretty good, Tommy. But you, that's true. Can't keep on. I'm sorry. He was never convicted. He wasn't convicted by trial, but they did say they were. They were investigating. Cool. They I arrested him in 2016. Yes, yes. but yes. he wasn't convicted. But if he was, would it still... Because I asked this question because... <laughs> and, you know, from where we come from, you know, we have a lot of people that... In our neighborhoods that do things and, you know, that may be immorally or whatever. And then sometimes we have to sit and ask ourselves, like, does it change how we feel about this person? This person did that. Are we not going to love this person the same? Do you understand? This is why I asked about Benoit, even Jimmy. Like, if you found out you know, he wasn't convicted, so we're going to respect that. But if you found out that he did that, would it change your love for him? Or would you look at it as it was a mistake? Or would you find an excuse because of your love and because of what he did for you? Uh, that's a good question. I, it wouldn't probably change my perspective like Chris did. Um, but for Jimmy, you know, he treated me awesome. I would say that it was a mistake, but then you also got to understand, like, how many mistakes do people uh get i you could look at it like uh if a person crosses you it's different mm -hmm. let's say you two have a mutual friend your mutual friend effed you over but he didn't have him over uh, where's your loyalty is gonna lie uh -huh. so that's a big question <laughs> yeah he's pretty good man. Pretty he's pretty good, good. You're, pretty, you're pretty good man but 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 you, but you ain't good enough Right. You ain't good. You're pretty good though, Tommy. He's pretty. He's, Tommy, you really. I appreciate. Uh, it. No, you're good. The, the way you answer questions is so. I answer with truth. The you do. Truth will set you free always. Walk, walk us. Sorry, G. Walk us to, through the day like when you got into wrestling. I mean, you, in the beginning, you told us what happened, um, what made you, you know, you know, want to do it. Wrestling business is different, man. My my trainer, WWE Hall of Famer Johnny Rods. He worked for WWE for a long time, and he was Vince McMahon Sr.'s, uh, what we call shooter, what we call, he was the guy that tested you if you were the new guy coming in, and then he went to Vince McMahon Sr. and said, this guy's pretty good, or this guy's the shits. And training people is so much different. Uh, I trained people for a while. I was literally beat up every day. But I was beat up, not maliciously or hurt. My trainer was great. He was a great trainer. Um, he would do things 
if you fell wrong or if you had your hand out wrong, he'd step on your fingers. And I'd be like, why is this man keep on stepping on my fingers? Because then later on, and he would always be like, hey, if you get hurt because of something stupid or if you break your hand or if you break your fingers, you can't wrestle. If you can't wrestle, you're not going to feed your family. So how, if you prevent all these errors, and errors will always happen in wrestling, but he was doing all these, he was a perfectionist, and, or, because I remember him telling me a story, he was wrestling a, a wrestler named Tony Gurria, both sweaty, he picked him up for a body slam, they probably wrestled about 50 times before, and he went head first, and he goes, I laid on the mat, and I was a quadriplegic, I felt nothing, and he was like, what the hell did I uh, do? And all of a sudden, he started getting his feeling back, all this stuff. But he was like, I relied on somebody else to do their job, and they didn't do their job. So that's why he always protected. There's ways of protecting yourself if somebody else messes up. He was a great trainer. He stretched myself. He has a long list of guys who made it in this business. Um, and But I remember I used to drive home. First of all, I was the only white kid walking into Gleason's gym in Brooklyn. And... I'm this upper middle class kid and I'm looking at men who are fighting to try to get out from their lives or the hood or going to fight for real mm-hmm. to try to better their lives. And I'd walk in, uh, I'll, Johnny used to call me happy dreamer because I was like, oh, look at this kid. You don't got a care in the world. He's so happy. And I thought I was tough, but I wasn't tough until that man made me tough. And they also wanted me the guys who ran Gleason's always wanted me to be a boxer. And I remember one time they sat me down in a meeting with my father there and they were like, cause they're always looking for the, the, what is it, the great white hope. And they sat me down and they basically tell me that, uh, they would have padded my record, but cause I was young, I was good looking and, you know, but then eventually, you know, his, he'll, he'll move up the card quick. Cause this was during the whole Tyson era. And, uh, they wanted somebody like that. And I was just, my father was like, listen, he don't, I'll support him whatever he wants to do. And he's like, do you want to box? I was like, no, I want to wrestle. And like, oh, there's no money in that wrestling. And I was like, well, I kind of want to do because I love it, not because of the money. And I don't think a lot of people get into doing stuff at first for money. They get into because they love it. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes the business and it becomes the money aspect for it. But um, he trained me well. He trained me very very great he really did you cannot train people the way you do today because everyone's very sensitive there's social media you could not try to toughen somebody up because they would say you're picking on them or hurting them he would put me in holds that you'd have to fight your way out of it because in case you really did there there's a lot of fights out in wrestling people don't realize that there's fights in the back there's also a lot of fights in the ring. And if you don't know how to take care of yourself, it's weird. Old school wrestlers used to like fight more than newer school wrestlers. But he always prepared me for that, and he did. He made me super-duper tough. And I'm wrestling 31 years. I've never had a surgery. I've uh, broken every bone in my body, but yet I still keep on going. So uh, I, I hearken that to my – no matter what you do, it always goes back to your fundamentals. If you talk about football, you know – You'll. I, I watched the other day uh, a Hall of Famer is talking to a number one draft pick, and he's like, "Man, you just got to go." And he shifts his shoulders, and he shifts his shoulders, and he was already past the kid. 
And the kid, he's a number one draft kick. And he looked, he's like, how'd you do that? And he's like, that's why I'm a Hall of Famer. I ain't going to tell you yet. And I was like, oh, man, that was so cool. <laughs> but, I mean, and you talk about, you know, we, before we were talking about, uh, you know, the journey. We all, we all know Michael Jordan was cut uh, on, in high school, high school basketball. Yeah. Um, we all hear Derek Jeter, man, that guy, or used to take batting practice after games. Uh, Jerry Rice, the day they won the Super Bowl, he literally went out and was practicing for the next season. And it's that hard work and determination that does separate people from, you know, there's people who've played the game and then there's people who continue to, you know, really, really make an impact in, in business. Plus, it's a shitload of lucky breaks. Mm. Talent will get you so far. Real quick, uh, what kept you motivated during, during these fights? Was it the was it the incident with, with Bob uh, Bob Backlund? It's everything, man. My my first goal was one match, and then after that, I was like, I want another match. And then after that, it's like, I want to. I never really wanted to make it to WCW or WWE. A lot of people, uh, a lot of people were like had that. I wanted to go back in the day. It was uh, there was all Japan and New Japan. There was two wrestling companies in in Japan, and I was the, and it was to me. I thought it was real, a hundred percent. And I'm in the business, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go there and be a star in Japan there first, because then I knew I could be a star in the states. And it was just they had different style of wrestling. That when uh, Antonio Noki and Giant Baba they had their own companies. I wanted to go there. I was fortunate enough to go there. Um, I lived in Japan for six weeks. They wanted me to train in the dojo. They did some things that I really, um, if you were an old time wrestler, they would have like younger wrestlers and, uh, an old time wrestler would just walk up and like, just bitch slap a guy in his ear and uh, like to humble them. And they would have to take that. If you bitch slap me in my ear, I would literally bite your ear off and, as a man, I couldn't do that. And just because you're a wrestler with a great career doesn't mean you can disrespect another human being. Because if I'm sitting next to Vince McMahon right now and Vince McMahon punches me in my face, I'm going to bleed. But you know what? If I turn and punch Vince McMahon in his face, he's going to bleed too. We're all mm-hmm. created equal. We are all uh, we're, we're all the same. Just because people have more money, uh, more of this... Yeah, we're all equal, so I always try to t- treat everybody with respect. So, but me, and even now, man, uh, I always to answer your question to set goals. I always set goals. If mm. I have my podcast, I, I know what my podcast numbers do. I want to double it. Um, I'm right now 273 pounds. I know I'm gonna have a big match coming up in, I think February. I'm gonna go in there at 255. Mm. Not just because I, it's a big, important match for me. And I also, like, I'm a realist. I'll look at myself in the mirror, and I don't see abs. Not that I ever had them. But, damn, you are getting fat, dude. Stop eating lasagna every day after Thanksgiving for, for seven days. I did that. It was awesome. Um, I had lasagna and stuffed shells every day for seven days oh um, after Thanksgiving. But uh, it's just setting goals for yourself, and I think everybody should. Because without goals, what, what do we have to wake up for? Right. You, you know, I wake up to, this is off the thing, but my worst day is made better um, when, I, when I look at my daughters, when I chill with my dogs, 
Mm. Um, when I'm in my house with my family, that's where I'm my happiest. And no matter what's going on in my world, I, you have those things or you come closer to realizing your goal. It's like, man, I came so, so close or I'm still going to get that. What, so you watched them bitch slap somebody and you decided not to go through that, yes? Yes. You And you told them I'm not doing this? And you well, left? I nicely said that. They also did, there was other some weird uh, customs, like you used to have to uh, bathe other men in the shower. And... Uh, <laughs> Yo, what? Yeah, no, I'm serious. Sorry. And uh, there was also if guys went to the bathroom, you had to wipe their ass. And I was just like, I can't do that. People did that? Yeah, a lot of people did that. Oh, it's true. this humbling. Yeah, tough, tough people. And if you knocked, if you told them that, they'd probably either beat the crap out of you or they all did that. It was like that culture. But there was also Americans that did that. They beat you down mentally. It's kind of like the military. Military does a lot of stuff like that to you. But this was like, I listen. How I don't, close did you get to doing any of those? Uh, no, man, I I couldn't. <laughs> I remember walking into a sh- to the shower and seeing four dudes wash another man, and I was just like, not being homophobic, yeah. but like I was like, I don't care. If, seriously, if I was The Rock or if I was John Cena, I'm Roman Reigns. I never need another four dudes to wash my uh, little dreamers. Or when I <laughs> when I go to the bathroom, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody to wipe my butt. It's disgusting. I, I'm I'm good. I barely want to do it myself, but I have to do it. I don't need anyone else. So to do that. that those practices of for humbling issues, humbling. I used to tactics. happen back in the day. Yeah. But does it really? It, it, you don't think it uh, scorns anybody's mind? I don't know. Because <laughs> you ain't do it. Yeah. I couldn't answer, but uh, I for me I couldn't do it. Plus I was. 22 i had a girlfriend here in the states yeah got you i had a girlfriend in japan too it was a, it was a good time oh you were, let's you were go. Player. so so stop, yo, g chill out let's, so, let's, let's go g <laughs> yeah my man stop it dreaming out here so so you you um you 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 start to get trained and then like what's the next step what do you what do you when does things start to take off for you uh, 1989 I had two matches. 1990 I had four matches, and I remember I'm in college. I'm walking around thinking I'm a pro wrestler, and it was my father, and he was like, uh, someone was offering me to go wrestle, and I was like, my trainer didn't want me to go wrestle there, and a lot, it's weird. A lot of trainers don't want you to go other places. Um, I always you got to wrestle everywhere. You gotta, you know, you have to if you're a comedian, you got to go to every comedy club to get your break if you're in music you got to perform at every venue even at a place where you know you're going to bomb because you're going to learn how to experience how not to bomb uh and my father's like all right so let me ask you this you paid somebody three thousand dollars to teach you how to wrestle you've yet to get paid you've been wrestling now two years are you going to get a real job are you going to uh what are you going to do with your life and just yeah you are a wrestler you have wrestled but what do you got to do? And then I just literally went out there on the road. And since 1991, I've been on television nonstop since 1991. Mm. I hooked up with a company that uh, old school sports channel before the Mets. Mm-hmm. I was it was called ICW. I was there. And then this lovely thing called ECW hit. And I was there from day one till the day the doors closed. And then I went to WWE. Then I went to Impact, 
little AEW, little Impact, but I've been pretty much on television. How, how did you? What, what? How did you get to ECW? I showed up. I drove. Taz was booked against this wrestler named Sabu, and I showed up with my bags. And I had met Paul Heyman a couple of weeks before, and I basically left him a message. Well, actually, I spoke to him, but he was uh, he was acting like he was somebody else because he's crazy, which is what makes him so special. And I basically showed up with my gear and ready to wrestle. And the first night I wrestled under a mask, and then the next night I wrestled Taz. And uh, we had a really, really good match. We did things that were ahead of its time. He did a lot of crazy suplexes. I did a lot of stuff. And then about a week later, Paul Heyman called me up, asked me to go to the studio, which was out in Pennsylvania. I drove out there. I wrestled. And uh, at the end of the match... I I literally sat there with Paul, and he watched my whole match with me, and four people gave me a standing ovation. And he goes, look at that. And he pauses it. He goes, look at that. And there's probably 30 people there. And he's like, four people. He goes, I could do something with you. I was like, cool, man. And he, he then, I never saw this until later, he did the entire ECW show with all the bad guys winning, and ECW was chaos. He ended the show with that match. Joey Styles is wrapping up the show. And he's just like, wait, wait, let's go back to the live action. They go back and he goes, look at this. Um, This town of Philadelphia that threw snowballs at uh, Santa Claus, this hardcore town is giving this pretty boy babyface Tommy Dreamer a standing ovation. Maybe there's hope for ECW after all. And they went off the air. And... Thinking about what I did for ECW, that was so Paul Heyman's genius. And Paul Heyman like then saw something in me that I didn't even see in me, but he believed in me. And then that all kind of took off from there. And then you... it was the Jimmy Snuka thing, I'm sorry. And no, then sorry. it was me getting caned for real, uh, which was brutal. Um, and then after that was me and my feud with Raven. But all these little stepping stones, like, helped me become me. But it was all, like, Paul Heyman's ideas of giving me these little, little pieces. Because after that, it was, I kicked out of Jimmy Snooker Splash. Then I got, there was a kid in Singapore that vandalized, uh, either vandalized or stole drug, uh, sold drugs in Singapore. And he was a U.S. citizen. And he was going to get caned for real in the square. It became national news. And uh, he was going to get 10 lashes with a cane and the world was up in arms about this and so then paul comes up with the idea of loser a match gets caned that kid took four and then like he was sent back to the states i had to take i took 10 and then i took another additional three and when it happened it was like uh passion of the christ type of stuff because if you've ever seen i was getting caned for real and the first hit the people liked me, but they didn't accept me. Mm-hmm. And then the first hit, you literally will see people like, ha, ha, ha. The second one's like, the third one, people like, because they're seeing the welt start on my back. They're seeing the cut start on my back. Um, by the fifth one, I literally like started seeing people like, the same people were like giving me the finger, telling me, like, you suck or booing me. They're like, Tommy, just stay down. It's okay. And I'm like, no, I got to get up for you. And I get up and I get hit again. And it was uh, very, very 
It was real soap opera because it destroyed, I mean, that shit hurt. The Singapore cane is the only real weapon in wrestling, and it's uh, meant to hit you, and then it catches your skin as it hits you. Mm. And so it, it's meant to hit and cut. It's a real, it's a weapon. Uh, it's used for martial arts training. It's like a sword, but it's made out of bamboo, and I hate that thing because it's followed me my entire career. And the majority of the times I bring it to the ring, but sadly, I still get it used on me all these years later. One day I'm going to figure this all out. Let me ask you a question. Um, you, you opened up about uh, struggling with depression. Yeah. Do you remember talking about that? Yeah. Do you remember man. saying that? And well, then that, it said that it cost me a lot. <laughs> no, no, but it said that you were in 2001. It got bad. You were considering murdering Paul Heyman before committing suicide in front of millions of people. Yes. Was that really a thought process? Or absolutely. But I, I tell you what, I th- I thought about that, and then when I went public about it. I was just, I said that, and I trust me, that that has cost me a lot. It cost me a lot. What do you mean? The comment that you said? Yes, because a lot of people took it out of context. Okay. I said it the week after two wrestlers killed themselves. A female wrestler hung herself, Ashley Mazzaro, Mm -hmm. and I was supposed to meet up with her the day before, the day she hung herself, and nobody knew she was depressed. And then another wrestler... They always say, reach out to people, reach out to people. He's a wrestler from the UK. He reached out to everybody. But never once did he say, hey, I'm thinking about killing myself. And I went public with that on my podcast. And everyone was like, oh, you're going to kill him. Did I ever have a gun? Did I ever? It was a thought that came into my head. And I think we all have crazy ass thoughts when you're sad, when you're depressed, when you're not sleeping and you're literally laying in bed and I would be like, man, you know what? I should just kill that motherfucker. Excuse me for cursing. I don't know. Okay. You can curse. And as quickly as it went into my head as quickly it went out of my head. But what I was trying to tell everybody, we all have bad thoughts, but never to think on them. You know why? Because like I said, on your worst day, you'll have a better day and you need to find your happiness. Now, if Ashley Mazzaro would have told me, because I was supposed to meet her with a friend of mine. Hey, um, I'm not going to meet you tomorrow because I'm going to hang myself tonight. Don't you think I would have driven out or just stayed on the phone with her? Of course. Or that guy, Lionheart, who's a UK wrestler, he reached out to so many people and everyone just thought, oh, he's sending me a random message. But if he would have said, hey, man, I'm in a bad place and I'm thinking of killing myself, don't you think so many people? There's a wrestler uh, on Scotty Riggs. He was probably the American Males. He goes out there and says, "Man, hey, I'm 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 having a really bad day. Don't know if I wanna if I wanna continue." You know how many people re- I reach out to him all the time. Hey, man, how you doing today? In the sense of when he goes, because I feel that's it's not a, it's just at times you just need somebody to to be there for somebody a shoulder to cry on a shoulder, uh, or just someone to listen. Hey, you know this happened, that happened, and now with social media, you can help people. I have met so many people who have told me that. ECW, I'll tell you, a great, it's a great story, but it could have been horrible. A guy hit me up after I left WWE. He hits me up and he says, hey, man, I've never written any celebrity anything because I, I put up an email out there. And he said, uh, I had pills, I had alcohol, and I had a gun, and I was going to kill myself. I was 100% addicted to drugs. I had nothing to live for. I watched you get choke slammed from the top of a building, and I this is an ECW, and I was like, "What the hell am I looking at?" 
And he goes, and then the show went off the air. I was freaking out. I never saw anything like that. He goes, I put off my suicide to see what happened to you the next week. And then you went and you were like still, and I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm glad that guy survived. And then I literally had this epiphany and he said, I care about somebody. And he goes, I just want to let you know I cared about you. And I stopped drinking. I stopped doing drugs. I didn't kill myself. And I'm about to have a daughter. Mm. And he goes, and I just want to tell you that you're responsible for that. Um, we met each other after that. I'm still friends with the guy. But what I'm trying to say is, and, and why I went and I said that, is because I was just so sad. ECW is out of, out of business. Paul Heyman was my friend, and he screwed me over. I didn't think he'd do that to me. Uh, I had lost so much of my money, so much of my parents' money. It was like, what am I going to do next? And yes, that thought went into my head and out of my head, but I, I had nobody to talk to back then. And when I said all this stuff, it was just like what I'm trying to say. If somebody's at that point where you're really low, there's somebody out there. Somebody or something cares for you. Or I just always tell people, find your happiness. If if you can literally listen to a, you're so, so sad and you start doing this because you hear a song, that means you like something. You like that mm. beat of that song. That's your that's your happiness. Can I ask you a question? Yes, that's and, what podcasts are for. Yeah, See, yeah. I got you. No yeah. Zing music, G Money? Yeah. <laughs> Let's go! Yeah! <laughs> when you say he screwed you over, Tommy, mm-hmm. in, now this is a long time ago, right? Oh, one. In retrospect, is it? Do you think about it different, or was it really? Can you get into like how you felt he screwed you? Screwed you well, over. Well, sure. Um, he, none of us knew he was in WWE's pocket all along. ECW, which I had turned down a lot of money to go other places to go to WCW. My last offer was seven hundred fifty thousand dollars to leave ECW to go to WCW. And Paul, a lot of wrestlers had left. Sandman had left. Raven had left. And then they came back. And I was just like, Paul, this is more money than I'll ever see in my life. And he was crying. Probably fake crying. And he was like, if you leave, this company goes out of business because of all the stuff they did. And he's if you leave, all your friends will be out of jobs. So it was... That was a heavy thing. You know, $750,000, I could take care of my family. But then I think about it. Back then, yes, I was I was pissed because then he just folded up the company. I stayed longer in the company than he did. Um, and I had also, like, the, the, the famous ECW ring truck was in my name. It uh, wasn't in his name. There was a lot of things that there was an opportunity to save ECW financially, but the people did not want, these are my people, but they did not want Paul involved in it and I was like Paul man and he stood me up in a meeting and they were like how are you saying your business partners with this guy and he's not here plus your name's not anything so there was a lot of things like that but that's now it's all water under the bridge and and, but you think back then and this is again why like I say life changes like I laugh at it because I also say for everybody that left and for everybody that Everything, me staying part of ECW made me the man that I am in, in wrestling and made me this person that fans perceive. And all those people that did leave or went for the quicker cash, they're no longer wrestling, and I'm still here. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, he, he, he screwed he, me, but he screwed over everybody. But can you, can you 
can you really blame him? Meaning that you did you take the uh, initiative to understand the business, or you were just trusting him to handle it for you? Can you blame him, or can you have to take accountability for me not being on my business or business savvy Correct. at the time? Uh, both. Both. Okay. That's I can right. blame him for lying because you don't need to lie. You don't. That's real. You're right. Uh, I blamed him because my parents were flipping a lot of my bills. And if someone, like I said, anything could happen to me, I'm cool. But someone messes with your family, that's different. Um, There's no reason to lie. You look at greatest fighter of all time, Mike Tyson. Besides going to jail, which is the lowest point of his life, he also had all his money was taken from him. Yeah. So all that he did, all that entertainment, all that stuff that he did, Mike, but now you look at Mike now, he's a totally different person. And he even said, you know, I was angry. He he did all these things, and but that's life. And that's why life is beautiful. Life, we got to keep on moving forward because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. I could have, I could win the Powerball tonight. If I do, I'll hook you both up just for the good luck factor. <laughs> but exactly, G-Money. Yo, what I'm just saying is, purpose, man. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's two prong. You know, when I learned, it's pretty funny when I kind of forgave him. I forgave him when kind of you said, Tommy. Yeah. Well, there's been others. There's been after facts too, and I don't like that. Um, not with me, but also like with my friends, lying to people. You'll have other wrestlers sit here, but lying to other people, you don't need to. I'm very against lying. You don't need to lie. I could literally tell you guys, like, you could be like, hey, Jeremy, you're a really good guest. Or, like, when I leave, you're not going to tell me, but you tell Brian, like, hey, man, don't get us, like, crappy guests if you think I'm a crappy guest. Like, I don't need I don't need to be, like, you guys, like, you are the greatest guest I've ever met, uh, blah, blah, blah. Adding ketchup <clears throat> to the spaghetti sauce, basically. Exactly. Got it. But, um... There's, you don't need to, I don't live in this pro wrestler bubble. I don't live that I used to live in. And like, there was, there was a lot. And and I, when I was saying when I forgot him, I forgot him on, he did a thing on Monday Night Raw when he got evaluated by Vince McMahon on television. And he said, I did everything that you would do to keep your company afloat. And all this stuff. And then I, you know, because then I'm running my own wrestling company. And I was just like, yeah, I've got it. I, I got, I straight up tell people, uh, I'm, it has affected me being brutally honest. Lita talked about her Hall of Fame speech. I, I kind of discovered Lita. And you know what she said in her Hall of Fame speech in front of everybody in the world? Tommy Dreamer said I needed to lose weight and I was fat. And she thanked me for that. Because I said, hey, for ECW, it doesn't matter what you look like. But for WWE, you need to lose weight. Because they will judge a book by its cover. And if you want to have this career, and she's like, yeah, I was in Mexico. I was partying. I got out of shape. But like, no one would ever tell me that, hey, you're getting fat and you need to get in better shape. I'll tell you the beauty of Paul Heyman. He did the same thing to me. Um, he would still pick out flaws and tell you things that uh no one else would he was a besides creative when we were together we were great but you can't listen uh if the two of you here i'll I'll flip the script at you 
Hey. Oh my God. Along. <laughs> Two of you were hanging out doing this podcast. Don't know what money you guys are making, right? All of a sudden, uh, who's got the number one podcast in the world? Uh, who's got the number one podcast? Joe, Joe, Rogan. Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan. You find out he's working for Joe Rogan. Oh. Exactly. So he was always working for Vince, though, you trying yep. to say? The entire oh. time. No. The entire time. The entire time when, though? We got to be specific. That thing called ECW. He was in Vince's pocket the entire time. When did you find that out, Tommy? When I worked for WWE, and I worked behind the scenes in WWE. I'm friends with Shane McMahon. And Jim Ross has said he's gotten. He's all Paul also told me that all the whole time. That whole time. So Vin- Vince had a feeder mm. system. Vince could take whatever guys. And if you jump to WCW, like Chris Jericho went to WCW, the Radicals went to uh, yeah. Malenko, Guerrero. They all went to WCW because they weren't really WWE guys. But then, if they want, and Paul was getting a paycheck from them. Wait, wait, wait. How does it work? Wait, wait. You're getting the... paid by Joe Rogan. Tell G-Money that right now. I'm not getting paid by Joe Rogan. But that's what I'm telling you how this all went down. <laughs> so, 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 so Vince would pay Paul Heyman yep. for wrestlers. I don't know for wrestlers, but he was paying him. Uh, if you look at, well, look at the wrestling, the time. And I'll tell you, there was like, you ever see like these detective movies? Where or these these movies where, and like all of a sudden at the end of the movie they put like all these scenes and you're like, how did I not see all? Yes, yes, yes. There was, and I was explaining that to them yesterday of not of being in a situation but not seeing, seeing it and being more upset because you didn't see it. Correct. Being yeah, yeah. Thank you. Um, you look at the Attitude Era. Uh, yes, you could see it on television, but there's a wrestler named the Sandman. He would come to the ring. Smoking a cigarette, drinking a beer. And then there was a wrestler, minus the smoking cigarette, called Steve Austin, who yes. came to the ring with a beer. Made made very, very famous. I'll tell you the one where I was just one of these first, like, there's no way. Um, it was on a Saturday, and I was the first wrestler. I always like to do things first. I was the first wrestler to every hit. I had a cameraman. And I took the camera from the camera and I hit this wrestler, Brian Lee, in the head with it, DDT'd him and pinned him. First time it's ever been done in wrestling. And I was like, this is awesome. The next day was Survivor Series. And Shawn Michaels versus Sid, and they used the camera, and and they switched the title on that. And I was like, (gasps) I was furious. And I was like, you told them. You told them, Paul. I'm calling up Paul. And he was like, I did not. And I was like, how the F do they know that that happened? Because it didn't air yet. And there was only, what, like 700 fans in Philadelphia that seen this. It will air on TV later. And he was like, Howard Finkel was there. He's their stooge. He must have told them the finish. And years later, I became great friends with Howard before he passed. And I worked in the office, and I asked Howard. I also asked Sean, and I asked Sid who then came to work for ECW. And he goes, no, we had a different finish. He goes, literally, about an hour before, Vince came in and, and said, we're going to do this with the camera. And right then, that was my first thing. It was like, honestly, there was no way that that could happen unless they were told. And I'd be convinced that he told them because he right. was under, he was getting paid. Jim Ross said every week they would cut a check 
to Paul Heyman and to the, the corporation that uh, they had the company in. Jim Ross has said that on his own podcast. Um, Shane McMahon, who I'm friends with, said, yeah, man, Paul was with us pretty much the entire time. It was also like double agents. It was different. Dude, it's crazy. There was also like, I know, let's say the, the two of you were boys. You would come up to me and be like, yo, what do you, th-? you know, you'd start bitching about him. And if I started bitching about him, you'd go back and tell him. Double so agent. You're playing double agent. And there was people like that all the time. WWE, listen, man, WWE used to have uh, paid informants. They would have, uh, and I knew who these people were. When I say paid informants, they were wrestlers that were getting paid basically to, to stooge off what was going on on the road. So if that, you're not allowed to smoke marijuana, and all four of us are smoking marijuana, you would go back and tell the office, oh yeah, I smoke marijuana with Tommy Dreamer, Shame uh, man. Brian, this person, but yet you were smoking the marijuana with us. But that was pretty much your job to tell them what. Got it. There was people like that. I could not live with myself. That goes back to, I guess, the mafia ties. You can't be a rat. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I couldn't look at myself in the mirror like that as a man. And then, so you end up so. You said it. You said this thought came. You was extremely depressed. You said, but then you you snapped out of it. Yep. You snapped out of it, and when you, because I didn't ask you this, but you didn't. I mean, I asked you, but you didn't go into details. You said you got a lot of backlash from that those comments. What was the worst that happened when people found out that you that you thought that like is it business wise well, that people the, not want to work? <laughs> here's what? the best part. The best when that. When my podcast dropped, um, Paul Heyman was named the head writer of the WWE for Monday Night Raw. So that drops on the same day that happened. So I'm trending number one with Paul Heyman because they talk about Paul Heyman. Oh, and by the way, his right-hand man wanted to kill him at one point, which, again, wasn't the case. Then it also was like, dude, the New York Post was talking about my mother. 80 years old calls me up and she's like, what is all this talking about? And I was just like, and I told her, and I love her answer till forever. She was just like, if your grandfather was alive, he would have killed him himself. And then she goes, someone should at least break his legs still. And I just laugh because again, it's old school. But um, it's, you get a lot of backlash. And then, you know, social media, man, people people are there to rip you up. And, And here's another thing. A year later, Someone in the UK pretty much didn't listen to the article uh, or listen to the podcast, and they wrote all this stuff about me and like pretty much summed up what somebody else wrote about the, the podcast, but never once said, the reason why I'm saying this was so people don't kill themselves mm. or people don't do bad things. And it's basically to know that don't act on these bad thoughts. So that whole message was lost, and it was one of those clickbait articles. Yes. And people will hit me up with it all the time, or, or people will, again, social media, there's a lot of uh, tough guys uh, on social media. Yeah. And they'll they'll use that, or be like, oh, yeah, just like when you wanted to kill Paul Heyman. I was like, yeah, right, because you just think you know everything. And it's so wrong, but 
I will take it every day because it has helped people. And for as many people that came at me for it, people have told me about what they've fought with, with depression and, and how it helped them. I just wish the message was not taken because honestly, like, and I said this before, I never intended on doing it. It was a thought that entered my head, just like, you know what? I'm going to have a sip of water right now. (laughs) And then once I do this, that thought is gone because I'm no longer wanting water. And, but I don't want people to commit suicide and I don't want people to think that they don't have anyone to go to. And I've been blessed to help people that way. And if I had to take that on the chin a million more times, I'll take it on the chin a million more times. Did you talk to Paul Heyman ever about that? Did you guys ever speak? Because how I, how I take it is that you were more mad because, you know, you're supposed to be the right-hand man. He convinces you to stay. He gives you the speech, and you come to find out that it all wasn't true. You feel It was more betrayed. Like yeah. you, you betrayed me as a friend, you know, and... I forgave him on the air. I don't mean to cut you off. I forgave yeah. him on the air on the, on the WWE Network. We did a special, me, Taz, and Bubba. I, I had forgiven him, again, money under the bridge. Water Respect. under the bridge. Respect, okay. I could care less. Um, he has done things after, which... Not towards you, though. No, it, it generally affected me and my business. But the Wrestling. Yes. Oh, got it, okay. There was... Uh, there were some good negotiations with the WWE Network and House of Hardcore, which was my wrestling company, and then they went away. And then I was told they went away by a certain person. And lo and behold, who is that certain person? But, hold on, Tommy. Answer my question. I know it's... it's okay. I, I got it. But, Tommy, hold on. That comes out, you, and you guys never speak in person, even though you forget. I have him. no... Listen, I have no animosity towards him. I mean, saying that, but would you have a conversation with him? No, because I, it would be a lie. So you hold resentment, though, Tommy. No, it would be a lie from him. How do you know he can't grow? People he grow? Can't, no, he can't. Because he's still... Listen, I have... This business... This wrestling business is so big, but it's also so, so small. And I'll be this gigantic octopus, but my tentacles reach so far. And I have people that I have helped in this wrestling business that work in the WWE. I have... Good friends that I gave breaks to that are in AEW. I have a long reach within this wrestling business. And like for for wrestlers that are just were let go recently, there was a bunch of wrestlers that go and they, they'll hit me up like, dude, I haven't seen him in a while. They're like, how the hell did you deal with Paul for all these years? And I'm like, oh, what did he tell you? And then they tell me, I said, that's just him. And here's like, again, I have no animosity towards somebody, but... If you know that person is always full of shit, why are you going to choose to hang out with that person? Or why are you going to choose to want to deal with that person? He has no bearing upon my life. He has, I have no bearing upon his life. Understood. If I see, I would love to hang out with him. He's an awesome, I used to love hanging out with him. We had so many great times. That relationship is uh, no more. But I'm not going to be like, hey, I'm going to see him and beat him up. Um, unless he does more, because I listen, Tommy, I'm, man, I'm straight that, up. Tommy. No, well, I'm straight. Listen, if you keep on, if you keep on fighting with me or causing me, I have two. We need to settle this like men, facts, or we need to close the door and fight, and then it's over. If you beat me up, cool. If I beat you up, cool. And then if I beat you up, and then you continue to talk, then I have to keep beating you up. That's just how I think. 
Because you're from the, you got a strong family. You're from the no rat but era. You're from but the that's, toughness. That Grandpa, should, be, that should be life. It should. But Tommy, also what should be life is that people that look up to you, when you say something, yeah. like you have to be clear. When you say that I there's no animosity, but then it's like I have, you basically say out of sight, out of mind. I don't, if, if, as long as you don't cross my path, I don't cross No, I'm saying he, we don't, I could work with him if he was so you doing can't, this. You, so you can work with him still. I I'm I will never be in that I will never be in that space. Got it. Mentally. No, no, I would never be in that. I would never be in that. I wouldn't. Not that I wouldn't want to. I, there is no position in my life that would be there. Right? If someone like, hey, I want you and Paul to do a podcast together, I'd be like, okay, you need to pay me a lot of money for to do that. Is it because now does a lot of money come from the fact that you felt that he took so much money? And no, family? it would just be like I don't know. I would why, again. Why do you want to have negativeness in your life? Why would you? If you always know that G money is always so snaking stop using me. Stop using I'm me. I'm telling you this. If, the, if you know that G money is always uh, stand up guy. Okay, but if you know he's not, and he's always looking at to do something to get an advantage of you or you know would you want that in your life no okay but then if say someone said all right well i'll give you half a million dollars to deal with g money oh shit you're thinking now yeah there you go that's it but what about growing what about growth what about time and what about you just said that you understood that he had to i do, did he had to I, do what he had to do to keep the business going awesome that also shine and light i on a said lot of i forgave it but then there was other stuff you after did say that, that. You, re you reiterated that yes you did say that that's something that you sat on and so again if i if all is there. I have listen straight up. I have no animosity towards the guy, but he's not involved in my life. Uh, are you married? Yes. Okay. Have you ever been divorced? No. Okay. Have you ever had another girlfriend? Yes. Did you tell that girlfriend you loved her? None of your business, Tommy. Okay. Yes, no, I but did. I'm. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. You <laughs> shared <laughs> intimate things with another woman. Yo, Tommy. Woo. What are you doing? What are you doing? What Tommy, I'm trying stop to say is, this, at that point in your yes. life, that girl. Was the most important thing in your life. This is, and you shared things with that person. Does that person mean a rat's ass to you today with your wife? No. Thank you. It's an ex relationship. Done. Point closed. G money. Give me a soundbite. Let's go. Tommy. <laughs> this was great timing, man. This this guy. He just no. Just... Don't give it to him. Don't give it to him. Cause he's it's not an ex. That. It's an ex. That's it is. Gee, you had it. a wonderful relationship with that person. You shared some great times with that person. That person is no longer in your life. Do you want that person back in your life? Do you want to hang out uh, with do, that person? Do you, do you want to hang out with that ex-girlfriend? you want to have that heat with your wife? No. Do you? He cool, man. Nah, he's not cool. He's not cool, G. It's the timing. It's a trick question. It's the timing he's for me. Smart. It's the timing for me. So 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 okay so we let's move on. I just feel because you know speaking to you, very intellectual guy, you know, and, and I like the way you answer questions, you know, and but when I can notice if you you know you can watch people and notice certain things and and that's what I do. Like I, I sort of try to pick, and I, and I noticed that you know when we brought that up and you being Tommy, you know. Um, Positive, cool, and collective. Then it goes like this, like a meter. You know, sometimes the meter goes like this, and it goes like this. Yeah. You know, and that's what you're doing. But and I just wanted to make you know be clear. You know, um, a lot of times in our past, I mean, when we think about things in retrospect, it's like, okay, I get why. Because the first thing how you start the conversation is why I get why he, not you didn't say you get it, but you said you heard when Vince McMahon was doing that thing that he had to do what Vince would do. Exactly. Or I understood it. You understood it, yes. Not necessarily you, you wouldn't agree with it because you wouldn't go about it that way. Correct. 
But do you feel in your mind, honestly, this is the last question pertaining to this, that it could have been another way that he went about everything and still achieved the same success that he achieved or that happened? Do you think that, yo, you could have did this? I get the standing you up. That that's that's I don't agree with that standing. No, you make you look crazy. I, but I do don't. You... Uh, I don't agree. Listen, man. If we talk about ECW, everything we did there was illegal uh, in the <laughs> sense of music. Um, that was a big part of the company. That was all illegal. We had no rights to any of that stuff. Um, how we pulled off some of these things that we we did, ECW would never be around today. You know, uh, for any of that. We had wrestlers that would fly in from Canada and Mexico, no visas, you know, all the time. We, it made it so special because of what it was. It was grunge music. Grunge music killed 80s hair bands. Mm -hmm. It was different. It was in your face. Can, that's why people still, the moment I, if we had wrestling fans, the moment I walk out, people would chant ECW. They still do it to this day because it was so, so special. Um, and like I said, it's, it's a past relationship. That's it, okay. I harbor no, I don't want him to die. I, I literally, I'm wrestling 31 years. I dislike one person. I dislike one person so bad that I physically want to hurt one person. That's not him. Not telling you who it is. Respect. But what I'm saying is, out of 31 years, uh, going to be living 50 years, there's only one person that uh, I want to do that in life to. That's pretty good. Cause I'm sure, like you guys, were like man, I ever see that motherfucker again, I'll beat the crap. We got it. I have one, but because that person in the wrestling world, yes, because okay. that person I feel took money out of my daughter's mouths and affected my daughter's life because, mm -hmm. like, you know, in, in wrestling, it's called you know, it's it's a hustle. Every year before this year, I wrestled 206 shows a year. Um, I was averaging between 190 and 200 shows a year up until this pandemic. And before this, uh, this started in March, I probably have lost about $200,000 from not wrestling from March till, mm. you know, I mean, I still work for Impact Wrestling. We, we wrestle literally, I wrestle three times a month when I used to wrestle three to four times a week. And probably lost about, you know, during this pandemic, about, about $200,000 so far um, because there's no wrestling out there. And then I think about, man, I had, I had, I could have been a lifer in WWE, but I couldn't stand the politics and the BS that went with it. And because of one person was causing issues for me. So I walked away. I walked away from a five year contract at the time. I was three months into it. And then, and those moments will cross my path in my head. But then I say, you know what? I have two beautiful daughters. I'm still paying my bills. Yeah, I'm still involved at wrestling. So that's when I say, you can go. If I want to go negative, we all can go negative. But I always just choose to go positive. Uh, and you know, you, uh, your praise the Lord stuff right there. He's reaching out. And, and I have to respect your, you. You got know, the yeah. Lord in there. But, but, but you, you had a five-year contract. You were three months in. Now, not, not saying who, but can you say what they did to you? Or people will be able to put it together if you say what no, they did. No, it's just there's... Uh, it's a very political landscape. What does that mean? But everybody say political, but never, I don't, what does the political politics behind the scenes? What does it mean? Does it question or does it compromise your moral compass? Does it like, what is uh, uh, like, like the Japan stuff you talked about? That's crazy. I get that. But like what now we talk about WWE. Japan. Like, what? <laughs> 
we talking about WWE. Like, what can happen? The pot of one say politics. day someone's going to come in and say, "You know what? You're no longer the host." And you're like, "What? I started this show. You know what? You're no longer the host. I uh, I don't like your beard. It's that simple. Or you can do your show, but uh, you can't answer. A, you can't ask any questions. Well, how am I supposed to do a podcast? Figure it out. Or um, here's your show." G money, you're now uh, called no money, and uh, you have to wear a suit to work every time you do this. Or G money, you're going to be replaced uh, by a I don't know a computer. It, and then you could also do that show, and they'd be like, "Well, where's G money?" And I'm like, "Well, you told him he's not here." No, I didn't. Who told him he wasn't going to be here? And if you say who told it, who wasn't going to be here? then that person loses their job or you lose your job. There's just so many different, like it's so much BS. And, and listen, man, I look at professional wrestling and especially during these times, professional wrestling, we're not doctors. Mm -hmm. We're not curing cancer. We're not, uh, finding the cure for COVID. We're literally out there to entertain you. And people want to dissect it or think they know about professional wrestling. It's literally, there's so many channels on television. If you don't like what you see, don't watch it. Like people be like, I hate Monday Night Raw. I'm going to cancel. Why would you watch something if you don't, if you hate it so much? We, listen, man, you can, you have the worst, the Jets, or have not won a game. I would still watch a Jets game. You know why? Because I like football. And I also like the Jets. Oh, man, I can't wait till they get rid of their head coach. Cool, but I'm not going to be like, I, you know what? My day is ruined because the Jets lost. I don't care about that. But there are people like that that act like that. Or even when you're doing big business and you're behind the scenes, you got to understand, man, I worked, I was pretty high up on the food chain when I worked behind the scenes there too. Right. And it's an entertainment company. It's professional wrestling. It's, it's not, we're not splitting the atom. We're only, the best part about what Vince McMahon once told me, this is right after 9-11, Again, a day that changed the world, changed everybody's life across the board. We had WWE again doesn't get enough credit. We we're the first live show to go on the air after 9/11. That doesn't get talked about. Everyone talks about baseball. It wasn't. It was wrestling. We were in Houston, Texas, and Vince McMahon looked at all of us like a general. And why I have so much respect for Vince too is because Vince McMahon never did anything that he wouldn't make. He wouldn't do himself, and he's a friggin' billionaire. Uh, Vince McMahon says, listen, anyone that does not want to go out there and wrestle, you do not have to. But it is your job to put smiles on people's faces and help them heal. And right when he said that, I felt for the first time in my life patriotism. And I remember when Lillian Garcia sang the national anthem, I cried. And I was like, this is what it, this is being proud of where I live. And it's, again, the worst day of everybody's life. And I'm feeling, and I was like, man, I want to wrestle so bad. I want to be a part of this show. I would do anything to be on this show. I would have literally run through a wall for Vince McMahon. But what he said to me, and I, it is whole truth. I'm just a wrestler, man. I have no clue why people follow you on social media. I have no clue why people like will take things that I say. Because a lot of times, and trust me, after this podcast drops, I guarantee you we will be trending about something. Most people will take a negative, but this has been a very, very positive but you'll see your words get flipped, which suck. But it's a wrestling show. If 
there's hatred between Seinfeld and Friends. Which was the best show ever? I like them both. I watch them both. Um, if I don't like something, I don't watch it. My daughters watch the Kardashians. I hate the Kardashian show. But then they came downstairs and I was watching the Jersey Shore. And like, ew, how could you watch the Jersey Shore? I was like, because I'm an old school Guido. And I watch that stuff. You know? So there, there's so much. We're just here to entertain. We're just literally, this is content that we're providing for people to sit back. And if we're driving to work or if we're looking for something to do, we sit back and we listen to you guys talk and you guys entertain the way you entertain. I entertain the way I entertain. And we're all here to put smiles on people's faces. Tommy, and that's what we do. You're pretty good. Man. I ain't gonna lie. You're good, but hold on. You're not He's better really than good. you still? I, I think he might, he nah, might, he might be. He, he might, might be take a little the bit. crowd because he know what to do. He, this is his thing. He got the this is not, This is a, truth. It is no, the but truth, nah, Tommy, this, but you're, you're so comfortable in, in this in this seat, though. You know, like you, you, you are a, a, a great, uh, great speaker. He is. You know what I'm saying? I, I think. And also, he knows how to go around. You know, you, I notice questions that he wants to answer. Even if he goes around, he comes back to it, like to answer your question. Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. Because so I'm like, a storyteller. I'll like tell this. a story in I my wrestling that. match, and I'll tell a story. It's not a story, but it's it's how you can relate. It's how mm-hmm. we can all relate. And we obviously are different ages. We're obviously different ethnic backgrounds. Respect. But guess what? We're like I said, we're all the same people, mm-hmm. and we're all enjoying each other's conversations. But I respect you, and I'll tell you why. Because you're a good guy. But the question that I have to go back to is: We hear about. I'm pretty sure in the wrestling industry, you hear about a lot of politics mm-hmm. prior. Once again, the accountability part. Do you, you know, you chose to be a part of that for whatever reason, knowing that. For years, there have been politics behind the scenes. Did you think that it would happen to you? Did you think that it would become too much for you? Because when you hear about it, you probably say, ah, if I go in there, I can handle that. That's nothing. But then you go in it, and you now you're in it, and there's a lot of nonsense that's happening, or someone is trying to sabotage or cause you to... I saw it. Listen, I'm also friends with these people. Okay, respect. And I saw it. When you lose a job, it affects you mm-hmm. big time. I knew these people's families. I knew these people's kids. I don't feel like messing with people for any reason. Because why? Why should someone mess with another person? And I'll tell you something about politics. And again, something that, listen, Vince McMahon was awesome to me. He also let me have conversations with him. And I had, I worked in the office next to him. And there were times when I, and it's, it's pick your battles and there's politics in every single thing that we do in life. Uh, I look at wrestling. Wrestling is not real. And I'm sorry if I shocked anybody who... It's predetermined. Literally, you can say that, G-Money, you're the heavyweight champion of the world. And then tomorrow, guess what? You're not. Oh, man. It's not based upon talent. It's based upon what somebody sees in you. Paul Heyman saw something in me that Vince McMahon didn't. Um, but then you could go to, well, there's ratings and there's all this stuff where there's houses that uh, are packed because this guy's the champion. Then you could start doing some analytical research about this. I'll tell you about where your talent should be based upon. If I, if we're, if I'm going to use this example of uh, football. Football is you, are, you get paid to score touchdowns if you're um, a, a football player. There was a guy called Marcus Allen. You ever hear of him? No. Okay. Marcus Allen won the Super Bowl for the for the Raiders. 
their owner was Al Davis. And a newspaper reporter, after they won the Super Bowl, wrote Marcus and the Raiders. And that got him heat with his boss because they didn't say, and he was the best. He was the MVP. He won the Super Bowl for the team. And this is a this is a sport where I hand you a ball and your job is to score touchdowns and win the Super Bowl. He just did that. The very next year, they went and hired someone to play his spot. And they told him he had to now block for that guy. And he's like, I just got you the Super Bowl. And they said, well, now this person's going to do that. So we had a block for this guy. And whenever another person got hurt, they would pull him in and he would still do his job. And now his contract's up. He couldn't leave. And then he went to the Kansas City Chiefs. And then at one point in his career, he became a Hall of Famer. He became the person who had scored the most touchdowns, and he became the best at his position. And he basically said, because someone else believed in him, as opposed to the other person, even though he had, but that was politics. That was politics 101 in a real sport. Facts. And when I heard his documentary, I literally started crying because I was just like, wow, like it happens everywhere. And I just thought in a real sport that wouldn't happen. And it's funny, he said, there's a picture of his father and the owner Al Davis, and he goes, right before that picture was taken, my father said to him, my son did this to spite you. And he goes, and I thought my father was going to punch him in his face. And I was just like, wow, this is so, like, these are the backstories and the stories that we love to hear. But he was just like, I was like, Dad, chill. I'm still a Hall of Famer. And I was just like, that's awesome. That's really, like, a great way to, to do it. Somebody else believed in him than the other people. He still had... Uh, he still had good legs, and he became the best at what he did because of his talent. If this, if wrestling let people become the best that they could be because of their talent, the wrestling business would be even bigger. Mm-hmm. And then if I go on the flip side of this to promote the show, we would just talk about everyone was up in arms because WWE fired so many wrestlers during a pandemic and let go of all these talent. Well, if it was your business, and if it was you, what would you do? And yeah, those are the hard parts when you're uh, run a business as opposed to being part of a business. And then everyone says, oh, WWE, you're doing everything wrong, doing it wrong. Their quarterly comes out because they're a publicly traded company. And oh, by the way, their profits are up three times as amount. And then now we're in this, their second quarter, their profits are up again. So how do you tell this evil billionaire like and that he's doing wrong when his business is flourishing? The ratings are down, but money in his pocket is not. So how do you tell this person he's so doing something wrong? So how does the profits go up if the ratings are down? Well, if I'm not a Wall Street person, but here you go, you're no longer having to spend a crap load of money, let's say just flights. You're all shooting out of the same location because they shoot in Orlando. Orlando. Mm-hmm. You're not running live events all over the place where, do you know how much it is just to run Madison Square Garden? And though, yes, you'll make some money when it it, uh, sells out. That's a union building. Don't even get me talking about unions and how much they uh, charge and all that stuff. And honestly, like I was at Madison Square Garden show and I literally moved a table because I was going to go through a table and I I got treated like I was breaking the law because the union people have to literally pull a table out to say they're doing their job 
that's whole other stories. But then when I'm just yeah. saying, there's so many things that go into it, but it's also they're making money from their television deals, from YouTube, from all these other things, just like we're trying to do here on Flip the Script. Stop, come on, man. stop using us <laughs> as a... show. But these are the business sides of it. So you could say, hey, there's the one thing, but then, hey, there's other. Like I said in the beginning, we're going to wrap this all around. It's always two sides to every story and the truth. I have two more questions. You can answer all the questions. I got nothing to do. We're in a pandemic. Okay. I don't have to leave until January. I, 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 I want to... We had Jake the Snake up here, right? Yep. And kind of went viral because he said this comment about Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, how they were fighting over Sonny. And I think he said that who was a good wrestler and who was not. Um... Jake the Snake, what do you think about him? Jake's awesome. Um, amazing wrestler. Amazing uh, psychology. Still contributing, being uh, a voice in AEW. Uh, he was my, I tagged with him a couple times awesome in ECW. Guy, yeah. uh, he has a telling story, that, the fact that he's still alive. Mm-hmm. Um and the fact that he's clean and he's helped DDP, who's another very, very positive person. Yes. And has used his celebrity for good he's to help other people. With To answer your question, you know, Jake as a performer was awesome. Um, do, do you think that when he, because, you know, we talked about him not winning a championship and, you know, uh, the, the world title and guys like that that have such an impact, but don't go over the hump. Do you think it's because he became comfortable being in the position that he was in? Um, you know, I guess putting guys over as well. Or Like, what do you think that is? Uh, Two-pronged attack, number one. Um, I'm sure back then everybody knew of Jake's behind the scenes. Are you going to put the title on somebody that may not be the most reliable? And then... Two, there's also people that don't need it. He didn't Did Jake it. the Snake need uh, the world title to become Jake the Snake? No. Roddy Piper ever hold the world title? No. There you go. Jake is the man. Shout out to Jake. We're gonna put we're gonna put some respect Absolutely. on his name. What was it like? Yeah, um, what was it like working with New Jack? Jack's awesome. Just saw him a couple days ago. Uh, not a couple days ago. Uh, about a month ago. Jack, listen, man. Uh, he does have Jack just wanted to always be treated how you would want to treat people again total two different uh backgrounds Jack uh I learned a lot when I did a TV show on the Viceland about Jack you know have you know he saw his I think his mother get assaulted by her father um somebody gets stabbed as as a kid total two different growing ups and I've been friends with New Jack for a long time New Jack has never done me wrong and I've never done him wrong and we were just we're he's he's a good friend in the sense you guys don't of, have any uh, any any safety fears or anything like you guys are getting kind of crazy you know? no back then neither no uh, in he's also older mm. um, he can't wrestle uh, anymore due to some health issues but listen man li- like I said you treat people straight up 
everyone's going to hit you back with that same respect. Right. I'm not going to go, hey, Jack, you're going to lose tonight, and then uh, we're going to put the title on you tomorrow, and then tomorrow that doesn't happen. Hey, Jack, you're going to lose tonight, and uh, oh, yeah, you're going to lose tomorrow, and you're going to lose the next day, and that's all I know for now. All right, cool, Tommy. That That's Jack in a nutshell. Straight up, that was him. When uh, I was, I want a new Jack. I wrote ECW One Night Stand uh, pay-per-view. I wanted New Jack on that show. New Jack had some stuff going on at the time where he, it wouldn't be the best for a publicly traded company to have New Jack on the show. And I told him that, and he was like, all right, cool, thanks. Hmm. I was like, hey, man, this is an old school days where we could open up the side door and you, we hit your music, you hit a few people and then leave. You know, it's like there's athletic commission. If you're going to be advertised, you know, if you have a warrant for your an arrest in a specific state, we a publicly traded company can't have you be in that state. I was like, cool, man. But if I would have went around and be like, well, um, I want you there, but this person doesn't want No, just treat people straight up, and then they can understand that. What happened um, with the Hannibal match in uh, – Canada, I guess. Oh, he, he, first of all, the best part about that was that was the same night as uh, GSP, GPS, John Paul, whatever. He's a big Montreal guy, mm-hmm. UFC fighter. Mm-hmm. I don't know his name. There was probably 12 people there. Um, the guy Hannibal wanted to do something. He said, uh, I've known him. He was a very, very good wrestler. He said he wanted to do this thing where it's like I kick out of your finish and then we make it as real as can be. And I said, okay. And we did that, and then that was it. It got like this much traction on social media. The fact that you're talking about it actually makes me laugh. But Why? Um, no, just because like you saw it means you're you're a fan, which is cool. I mean, it was it was put together with the hundred percent. Oh, so it wasn't it wasn't. No. <laughs> Listen, uh, to understand wrestling. It was my job and Paul Heyman's job. This is before the before the internet. If you think about the, the beginnings of wrestling, the beginnings of wrestling is based upon deception. It was everything we're doing is real, and even the finishes are real. This is way back when for all these great shooters, the Luthezes, all these guys that, oh man, they're no, it wasn't. It was predetermined. And if you know a guy didn't want to lose. You either didn't show... The WWE was started because Buddy Rogers didn't want to face Luthez. And he left as the champion because they Luthez was going to take the title off of Buddy Rogers for real. So Buddy Rogers went to the WWF and he wrestled Bruno San Martino. And Bruno San Martino, they've always said, Bruno literally said to him, as they're in the ring, this is going to go my way and we're doing it my way. Do you have a problem with that? And he said, nope. And Bruno picked him up, put him in a backbreaker, and cinched it for real, and beat him in 48 seconds. Mm. The entire wrestling business based upon deception. Um, then in the 80s, it was, you know, I really don't like these guys. We, we will never be seen in a bar together. We'll never be together. Now, once then Vince McMahon says, hey, you know, we're going to go out there and say it's entertainment, and it's all scripted. 
There were some people that hated it. It was actually a good decision. Now with social media, it's even harder because let's say me and Brian are going to be in a fight with each other later tonight. But no, we're showing that we're sitting here doing a podcast together and we really are friends. That is hard. The, the basis general consensus of professional wrestling is based upon deception. Straight up. Speaking of deception, I, I read somewhere too that uh, one of the wrestlers, I forgot the name, they, they uh, used paper or something to scratch, put scratches on their faces. Uh, something like Sandpaper. that. Sandpaper. Sandpaper. The scratch their face yeah, up. Yeah, I did that too. That was you. Mick Foley. If you got beat up in the parking lot. And if you mm-hmm. think about it, also, like, we joke about how stupid wrestling was back in the day. We got beat up in the parking lot. So another wrestler would sandpaper your face. So you had cuts, abrasions. I did it. It hurt like, oof. You have another person. That That's, like, the toughness. Mm-hmm. But that is how far wrestlers would go to deceive the audience to show what they were doing was real. It was... It's big, like, you know, people like, oh, uh, again, I'll use a friend's reference, Ross and Rachel. Oh, they really had this on-screen romance, all that stuff. Who knows if they ever did? But a lot of people convinced that those two dated and they had this, you know, all this stuff. That's how wrestling really is. It's a television show. Um, It's a way to draw money. It's a way to draw emotion for people. Now, if you go and see pretty Tommy Dreamer and his face, you literally see that my face is all beat up. Because someone took sandpaper and sandpapered my face to make it look that horrible. That is as real as real can be. Hmm. People know I broke my neck. People know I broke my back. How do you not get behind a guy who's still out there fighting for you in a company? Or when back in the day when you used to bleed buckets, um, all that stuff, or do these amazing performances and you're, you're hurting. But anyway, what I'm trying to say, it was based upon deception. Now right. there's different ways to do it. It's... Pretty much everything is out there, but there are still different ways, just like you, where you thought that was real. So then guess what? I got you, and I hooked you in, and you want to watch another episode of Tommy Dreamer versus somebody. That wasn't my idea, though. That was his. Shout out to him. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't you guys use razors back in the days? Yep. And, and, and when you found out about it, I watched it. I can see... You know, when you learned about it, you can see the quick, and you watch it back, you can see the yep. quick, you know, razor gash or whatever it's called. Tell you a great story. One time, Spike Dudley, he dropped his, and he saw a soda can. He ripped it in half and just went oh, no. to make himself gush blood. So if you think about what actor would ever do that, no. But again, it's to portray what we're doing was real. And it was very, very real because you are bleeding. Mm. Uh, my own wife, Beulah McGillicuddy, wrestled a guy, and he literally, they said if he literally wrestled for another three more minutes, he would have wrestled, he would have um, bled to death in the ring. Because mm. he hit an artery and was just gushing blood. It made her and him super duper famous, and stuff like that for wrestling fans lives on forever. But I don't know. Why I say wrestlers are different breed. Why is it like, who would do this? If they said, hey, we're going to make this podcast will get be so much better. If you hit him over the head and then you're going to go and take a razor blade and slice your head open uh, for the podcast visual. Some people may say, wow, it's a great idea. Some people, man, you're crazy. But we used to do that on a regular basis. It's nuts, dude. He does. He does some. He does some crazy stuff. I'm not sure if you, if you got a chance to check out that's some, that's some that's of his uh, that's some of his work. Still put through the table, man. Anytime. Oh, so, so, so um, I, I don't think you put me through this. Yeah. I can put you through that. Oh. It would hurt you. That that table would be hard to break, but we'll break it. <laughs> um, who did you have heat with backstage in real life? Nobody. 
Come on, Tommy, don't do me like that. Not that mm-hmm. I know of. Who was like, okay, so who, who, did you never had an argument backstage or a disagreement? I had, a, listen, the second part of me and Raven, we did not get along. Uh, Raven left, came back. That was my, my biggest issue. He was also um, self-medicating and he was lazy as can be and he was using ECW to go back, to, to go to the WWE. And it was during a time where we weren't getting paid all the time and I'm like, Paul's allowing this guy who left me more money, did all this stuff. Again, I see it because of the angle that it got, but him and I would go at it a couple of times. And the fact that he wouldn't go out there and work hard really pissed me off. Did did you, but do you think that you were being a little hard, Tommy? Do you think that you were being a little hard on him? Because you remember you either probably didn't you know, disrespect, get the opportunity or take the opportunity to leave and go back. Oh, no, I'm talking about working hard. That is my biggest issue. Your biggest issue. Not, remember you said that he left and came yeah. back. So did you feel like, because you look like you're very passionate about things, Tom. I am very much. Uh, but it's you're still good. real to me, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> did, so, but did you like, so the second, so and when he was first there, y'all was cool. Absolutely. And then when he came and back. No, no, hang on. Let me talk about two. When we talk about different times, you would never have seen me and Raven ever on social media together. Social media didn't exist. We would never be in the same place together. And I'll tell you also, like, another time we talk about different, you could watch this on the WWE Network. We were at a bar in Florida, and Paul said, hey, we're going to do something with you and Raven. And I was like, cool. He goes, just be ready for it. Literally, we're in a bar where we tell fans to be there. Raven comes across in the middle of the bar and punches me for real in the face. And I was out of nowhere. And I'm like, and I start pounding him in a real fight, in a real bar. I throw him down a flight of stairs. There's a poor guy there who's involved trying to break this stuff. He went down in the fight too. We didn't tell any of the wrestlers. We didn't tell anything. I busted open Raven's eye. Um, And they're like, they're calling the cops. Get out of here. I literally go, Paul literally goes, that was great. And I go, make sure... uh, Raven's okay, get in the car and drive off. So I fought in a real bar, a real thing, during real time. Could have gotten really arrested, oh my God. but just to make stuff real. What was your, uh, your 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 personal favorite match of yours? I man, I get asked that all the time. I don't I don't have a, a favorite. I love wrestling. Uh, my next one will probably be the my answer because the fact that I'm still living my dream and still doing this from, I've been hooked since I'm a kid right, right. and the fact that I'm still doing it, uh, I've wrestled everybody and you know, it's funny because sometimes you forget like you have like all these matches, but, and honestly like me and Brian, we had a great match. I hated the fact that uh, he got hurt, but that night that was my best match because I got to live my dream again. And, you know, it sucked for him. I bet you he won't say that's his best uh, match. But we were tearing it up before all that. But his company still existed. His company still went on. It was a great moment. And for, you know, for wrestling, we kind of, we live for the moments. So you wrestled everybody, you said? I wrestled everybody, man. So there's anybody that you want to wrestle that you haven't wrestled yet? Uh, The only person I never wrestled that I wanted to wrestle, uh, I took a hell of a pedigree for him, was Triple H. And, Mm. uh. I was supposed to have a big feud with Triple H, 
Um, we're supposed to actually do three paper, definitely two pay-per-views, and then a third pay-per-view, and then politics hmm. made it go away. And when we say about politics, because if you main event a pay-per-view and you're also wrestling Triple H to, uh, as the champion, you're talking it's a good six-figure payday. Exactly. Hmm. As opposed to sitting in the back and eating catering for a thousand dollars big difference in pay and that's the politics on that side what made that match not go through who do you think made it not go through uh bully ray power bombed him through a table and bully's shoulder went out and he power bombed him through the corner of the table and triple h got hurt and then all the ecw guys got deemed dangerous so again, not something that I did, but cost me a whole lot of money. Were you mad about that? No. I get it. Pissed. And yeah, I would have liked to have had uh, three matches with Triple H. But that's, Hunter that's the business. You, um, where do you put yourself in the hardcore work? You know, they said McFoley's a hardcore legend. Mm-hmm. Do you give him that title? Do you McFoley, I'll give it to uh, Terry Funk is the godfather uh or the grandfather and mick foley is the the father where do you put yourself son nephew yep son is cool son is cool yep blessed and like like i said before we're talking about veterans i used to come back through my from my job and i used to come back through that curtain and i would be able to have paul Heyman, mick foley terry funk all helping me be better at my job that's why I love helping people because they didn't have to do it. And they're Paul, the three of them are the most influential people in my life. My Mount Rushmore, I would just throw Dusty Rhodes in there because those are my Mount Rushmore of guys that helped me become me. And like, you know, like I said before, be able to tag with your heroes and be able to, to Cody told me, and I never knew this until he passed away, that Dusty considered he had five friends at all that he did in the business. He had five people that he considered friends, and I was one of them. And that was one of the greatest things that I could ever um, hold to my grave, that my hero thought that I was one of his friends because that, that's awesome to me. And I love it, and I cherished it. That goes into the next question I was going to ask. is like, who was cooler than you expected? Who was cool backstage or cooler or like that you <laughs> met you know when you hear things about people and then you meet them it's like, oh. Dusty was as cool as cool can be um, and it was genuine if he didn't like you he would, could be standoffish but I'll never forget the first time I introduced him to Beulah McGillicuddy my wife and he was like the way he stood up and the way he had a smile he had a, an engaging smile and he's like, hello, darling. And he grabbed both her hands. And he held both her hands, looked at her, and then pulled her in for a hug. And she was just like, wow, that was the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. He literally, in just that slight interaction, charmed her. If, if you ever hear the saying, you could charm the pants off of her, ah, man, that man had it where it's just you're in the presence of greatness and you know it and you look at him 
if that was a regular person, he didn't have a physique. He had nothing. Like, but if he wasn't Dusty Rhodes, but he was Dusty Rhodes, and that means he had everything. And he was just, you always felt like you were in the presence of greatness. And I'll never forget when he came to work for WWE, me and Paulie, uh, Paul comes into the office because I worked on one side, Paul worked on the other. He goes, Dusty's here. You want to go see him? And I was like, oh. And we literally ran like two little kids. Like we were like 15. And then right before we got to the door, we're like, we're cool. <laughs> and we're like, hey, Dream, what's going on? But just, and we were friends with him. I was great friends. I worked for him. You know, it worked in ECW. But just like, it was that presence. And like, I used to love when he would just close the door. He'd be like, close the door. And he would just start, you, you were going to, you were on the, under the learning tree. And I love that learning tree. You said that WWE offered you a lot of money to close uh, House of Hardcore. Yep. And go back and work full-time for WWE. How much money they offered you? That's uh, a little bit too. G-Money, how much? Yeah. Uh, Don't do that, Tommy. Tommy, do something. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy, do something. They, they really did it. They had a conversation with you like that? Yeah. Was it the head himself or somebody else? Uh, no, it was the head of uh, talent relations. He did negotiation. It was it was a nice deal, but... um. They, uh, it was just like, you have to close your company. And I was like, why do I have to close my company? And they're like, oh, I just kind of, you know. And then I also was like, well, what am I going to do? And they weren't giving me, you can do whatever you want. I was like, I want to run my own wrestling company and I want to work here. I oh, can't do that. And I just feel like they just wanted me to kill it just for the sake of killing it because it was doing very, very well. Then they went the other route and just kind of used everybody that I used and then kind of COVID kind of put it aside anyway. So it's Did that get you mad of them using? Why do you want always ask if I'm mad? I'm not a mad person. I'm, not, I'm a very I laid back, it. very Because laid. you're too laid back. That's but why that's, I asked that, I'm, Tommy. No, I'm... That's why he's that's cool, life. Come on, Tommy, man. I asked no, that. I wasn't mad. And that's business. You understood business. Yeah. Respect. You want to know even a funnier thing? And I, I still do. have it. It came... It, first of all, the first WWE contract's about this big. The next WWE contract they offer me is about this big. And I keep it, I have a little desk next to my bed where I keep my dog's kennel. And this is, I came back to WWE for a while, I was feuding with the Wyatts, and they're like, and I was, you know, having the conversation, I was like, man, I don't want to give up on my dream of having my own, Cause, and it's not like, I don't want to be the next WWE, I want to, I want, like I said, it's, if we're looking at baseball, there's 30 some odd teams of baseball, there's everybody it's still it's still baseball there's all these different teams it's just different management style different fan base i just wanted to offer people a different fan base and a different perspective anyway my contract was next to my dog's kennel and i came home from getting picked up at the airport i was like man they really want to sign this contract i don't know what to do i go upstairs to let my dog out of the kettle my dog ate my contract and i still have it in the fedex envelope all tore up and i was like I want to return my contract. Say, hey, man, I can't sign this because my dog ate it, but I still have it. I'm going to send you a picture, and you guys, you could put it up there. But yeah, I have a, I have a chewed up WWE contract that my dog ate, and I was like, maybe I'll just tell him like I can't sign it because my dog ate the contract, and it was big, and it, and it was big. He chewed it. You know, he had like his own little chew toy on it. And even you know, I'll go back to if you look at WWE their contracts back in the day, when I first went to WWE, I didn't have a contract for about a month. I'm giving you all the exclusives. I worked on a handshake deal. Didn't know if I was going to be under a contract. And that's nothing. your fault, though, Tommy. You choose to do those things. Well, because I'm a man of my word. 
I wound up eight. Oh, I had a, a I had a nice uh, eleven year run there, um, but then they gave me a contract. Whatever their new contracts, and, and this is for your listeners that if you're looking uh, for a job there or anywhere, they ask you about your social medias, and if you have anything controversial or if you said anything. And that could affect you on your job later on. And they ask, they go all the way back to the good old MySpace days, which I never had a space. But if you, why we say you have to be, you know, it's a different era, but you have to be morally as well as socially responsible because you put stuff out there, it may cost you something that you want later in your life. And WWE goes back and investigates every single thing you've ever posted. Because they have to. You know why? Because we live in such a society. And I was having this conversation, and I know we're running a little bit long, but if you think about some of the greatest characters in the world, they can never exist anymore. The Iron Sheik could never exist anymore. You know why? Because they would say you're playing a prototypical, stereotypical Muslim character. Yeah. And you'd have, you'd have companies come after you. You'd be shut down in heartbeat it did happen it happened with Davari and Muhammad Hassan where when they were on the, the, the channel 9 whatever that network is now they basically had to kill their character because they said they're portraying a stereotype you couldn't have had a character like gold dust because you would have had all these people come at you for saying hey you're you know every you're portraying a, a gay character in a negative light they never said Goldust was gay. He was, yeah. But you could never have those great characters. And this is where maybe uh, come back another time or discuss this. But yeah. it's literally a TV show where people are playing characters. And I have seen Nazis on play characters on television. I've seen racist people. I've seen homophobic people play that on television. But yet wrestling and wrestlers are held to a different standard. And that's unfair. Because they are playing a character, and that's not really them. Last question for me. Um, you were, uh, and I asked this, I asked the rest of us this. You were in, you were around, you from Yonkers, you know, diverse. When you hear about racism in the wrestling business, have you witnessed, or how do you feel when you hear about? African American wrestlers talk about the treatment that they may have gotten in the wrestling business. How does that make you feel? I got to another great legend, Tony Atlas, and he told me, and this is when I was, and I, and I got to give Tony props too because he, I used to pick him up, and I never forget, I picked him up at a YMCA, and here's a guy that I saw military press Hulk Hogan over his head at Madison Square Garden. And I'm like, why am I picking up? And dude, I'm like 20 years old. I'm still a fan. And I'm like, why is he living at a YMCA? And he told me a story. He's a kid. I made millions of dollars and I blew it all on drugs and alcohol. Don't drink, don't do drugs. And I don't, never have. I've drank, but I've never done drugs. Um, he was living under a park bench in Maine in the winter. He was homeless. And then he met a woman. Didn't know who he was, Tony Atlas. And she said, you could stay in my garage. He wound up marrying that woman. He's still with that woman. She goes, he really, she changed my life. Um, but he helped me with that. 
but he also said, I grew up where, um, you know, blacks had to have different bathrooms. Um, I, I don't know that. I don't know that in my life. And I'm glad I don't know that. It's ignorance. It's what you're taught by other ignorant people. And, and I've had the, the only question I couldn't ever answer to my daughters about racism when they're growing up. And I was, they were like, well, why would somebody not like somebody because of the color of their skin? And I'm always just like, I have no answer for that because that was never my life. Um, <clears throat> but it's because of what they're taught. And I always taught them if I said, hey, if I told you the color of your skin was blue and no one and every single day of your life, I told you your color of skin was blue, you think you were blue. Mm-hmm. But then someone would say, no, you're white. And I'm like, what is white? But if I told you anyone else who didn't have this color of your skin, they were bad, you'd start believing that. Um, it sucks that this all happens and we're at times a world divided. We don't have to be. But I'm going to tell you why I love professional wrestling. Every time I walk through that curtain, I am one person. They normally cheer me. This is when we had fans. And I will stand on this podium and I'll look around and everyone pretty much is happy. And I look around and I see man sitting next to woman. I see young sitting next to old. I see gay sitting next to straight. I see black sitting next to white, sitting next to yellow, sitting next to purple. And we're all united and we cheer for the good guys and we boo the bad guys. And that's the world that I choose to live in. Because for one brief moment, we're all united. And that's why I love professional wrestling. I really do. It's Tommy Dreamer for president, man. You know what I'm saying? That was good. That was it's good. good. It's a lot of applause for Tommy Dreamer. Oh I don't God. need applause. I just, I wish the world would see life through my eyes. And when you hear about these things or hear these stories, it, you know, it, it, it sort of, hurt you like meaning like it's like why does the world have to be like this you seem like a guy that takes things very it, serious it doesn't it, it has to be like that because of ignorance and we have to teach our children better shout out to you and like i said if vince mcmahon was black and vince mcmahon punched me in my face he's not punching me because i'm white and I'm going to punch him in his face, not because a black Vince McMahon punched me in the face. It's just because somebody punched me in the face. But guess what? We're both going to bleed. We're both, we're all equal. We all are. And uh, I'm, a, I'm not an overly religious person, um, and I don't want to go that route ever. But I feel we are all created equal. Mm-hmm. We choose to live a good life. There are people who choose to live a bad life. I just choose to live a good life. Um, and that's really all I have to say about I that. Appreciate that. And there doesn't, it doesn't have, I didn't walk in and say, oh my God, I'm in a room with three African Americans. I'm scared. I was like, cool. I look forward to the podcast. I was like, Wait, didn't you hit me up on social media? Like, that, that's, yeah. that's our life. Yeah. Like, that's how life should be. I, you know, it, it doesn't have to be that way. And sadly, it does. Did and you at s- least, like, with the world is being more educated. Again, when we were talking earlier about, we're having these conversations. We are. The best part about the pandemic is conversations like this. Where, hey, we got nothing else to do. But, you know, uh, it was great to see during the playoffs, like, athletes coming and talking about it. Seeing across the, the back of a jersey, Black Lives Matter. I feel all lives matter. 
And then when people will come after you, if you say that, be like, how could you come after me if I want everyone to be happy? Because then you're separating black lives just matter as opposed to, okay, what about yellow lives? Their lives don't matter or white? No. If you're a good person, all our lives matter. If you're a bad person, eh. But you know why they say black lives matter because predominantly or a lot or how it was portrayed in the media or in the world, you know, black people receive the the worst end of the sti- of the stick. So this is why they come up with Black Lives yep, Matter. I get that. But I don't. I feel also you shouldn't be attacked for feeling that all lives matter as well. They're correct. You know, I feel like that. Nobody should be attacked. We but should all, all again. Yeah. I've had a great time talking with everybody. Like I said, we're all different uh, ethnic backgrounds. Never once. Did you, when I walked in, did you say, shit, here's white Tommy Dreamer? No. <laughs> did I ever say, shit, I have two black hosts? No. I was like, cool, man, nice to meet you. Yeah, you were very nice. But that's how life should be. We all treat each other with respect. We're all good people. Life is wonderful. My utopia. We all come to see me wrestle because that's the world I live in. Are you going to tell us the person that, that you want to beat up? No. Do we know him, Tommy? No. Nope. I'll tell you one thing. How about this? Okay. And uh, it was my good friend Joey Styles who told me Shout to Joey. that uh, I can't do this. But when that person dies, I want to urinate on their grave and post it on Instagram and just be like, I outlive this MFR. <laughs> How's that? I think sometimes a little different. That's a little negative. Is it about the same person? Yeah. I only do it like one person. But I think it'd be cool to urinate on somebody's grave that you don't like. I also don't like when people pass away. And everyone talks bad about a person their whole life, but then when they die, they praise them. Just don't say anything, because then you're just looking for those likes. And that's not about them. That's about you. Thanks. If they were great to you, cool. If they were not great to you, don't say anything. Mm. But is this person big in the wrestling industry? Come on, Tommy. I'm going to wrap this up. Yeah, questions for me before you wrap it up uh, you got it what would Tommy Dream be doing if, if he wasn't wrestling oof that is a good one I do have a college education that was a deal that I made with my parents that so, they would support me nice uh, I was on the five and a half year plan because I was wrestling I have a business degree in international business and a minor in law I've never used it but you know what it helped me work and Jim Ross who always says you're a Got to wear many hats in the wrestling business. And just like anything, hey, you may not make it. If you love music, you may not have the best voice. You may Mm. not make it, but guess what? You could be a producer. You could be anything you want still in the music industry. Um, I don't know what I would do because I had no backup plan. There was no plan B for you. It was wrestling. It was was wrestling, and I knew I was going to make it. I wish I had that determination towards like baseball or football because it probably been like I would have still been playing. I've been the oldest player, just still hitting <laughs> doubles. A few more. Um, so, do you prefer uh, wrestling back then or, or, or now? New times. Oof. Ah, uh, Terry Funk told me the wrestling business will always change. You have to adapt with the times, or the business will pass you by. Scott is ready, man. He's good. He's good. So, I love like I said, every single match is different. I have done things. I've done something with the Young Bucks where I used a remote control and I paused the wrestling match. Mm. And you can find it on YouTube. It looks awesome. 
people, older wrestlers, like, how dare you disrespect the business, blah, blah, blah. Didn't disrespect one person that was there alive because it was great. Mm. The business has changed. Uh, you look at, there's a wrestler in AEW, Orange Cassidy. He's a lazy wrestler. That's his gimmick. I did something. When I first met him, I did something with him in a battle royal. And he uh, and I, I didn't know him. And he goes, yeah, I do these kicks. I don't want you to sell them. And I was like, how do I not sell your kicks? He's like, well, they're really bad. And he was just like, well, I'll just do these kicks. And I also put my hands in my pocket because like, I don't like take the time. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And we're sold out in front of 10,000 people in a battle royal. And as soon as the two of us faced off, I started feeling the building shake. And when he kicked me that first time and it got this reaction, I got it. Mm. And the moment that happened, like I said, I realized the business changed. And I went along with it. And if it didn't get along, I would have probably ripped his head off with a clothesline and just dumped him out. But I played along. Mm. And it was just, it was magical. It was an amazing moment. And I loved it. But the business changes. So there is no, you know what my favorite time is? And Steve Austin said this. The favorite time is when you were just a straight up fan. Mm. And it was the wrestling you grew up on. What I watch today, every day I watch a wrestling match. I really do. Um... And I watch stuff on the WWE Network that I've never seen before. And God forbid I ever go on a YouTube black hole because That's you get it. lost. Then I wake up, it's like 4 o'clock in the morning, I'm still up. And then the worst is, I'll tell you, since you like more of the negative, um, <laughs> I'll go and I'll be like, Tommy Dreamer versus Sting. And I'll literally go and I'll click on the thing. And they have like, my action figure wrestling Sting. Oh. <laughs> and I'll be like, I knew I never wrestled Sting. That I got back out of it. It takes a while. But like a lot of times they false advertise these uh, things yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, I just want to, like I'll grow up watching, like seriously, like I love Florida Championship Wrestling. The WWE Network doesn't have it. So if I'm on YouTube, I watch that. But I watch all stuff when I was a kid and I was a fan. Because days that if I did get down or days that... uh I'll be like, damn it, I'm stuck in the house again another day. What am I doing? Like, where's my next goal? I'll go back and watch something. Like, that's why I was a fan. Mm. And that's why I still am a fan. And also, old school never die. And I kind of steal stuff from the old school. Right. And put a little twist on it. And Makes sense. When I'm helping out behind the scenes and impact. And this last day, I see you, you did some TV work as well. You, you own. Um, one of my favorite shows, Practical Jokers. Yeah, man. Shout out to I shout think out to the uh, when I pass away. You a DJ for them? Just say the whole thing. <laughs> no, I'm just. It's, it's they're the great. Too. They're it's big the... fans. Yeah. I did two episodes. <laughs> they say I have uh, the two greatest punishments. Um, I think when I pass away, they're gonna say I was the guy who drank the Undertaker's spit and I pulled down Q's pants. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell you when when I did that. That that show, as you know, is pretty damn legit. Mm-hmm. Again, four guys who just paved the way to, to do what they did. Um, they tell me they don't know I'm coming. And I was I wrestled him on one of my shows. I beat him up. And then years later, we're doing a punishment. We're up in Rockland County. And we're in the middle of the mall. And they say, go up to him. He, he has to do this challenge. He's not going to be able to do the challenge. And pull his pants down. So I walk up to him, and as I'm walking, he goes, holy shit, it's Tommy Dreamer. 
as I'm walking, walking. They said, don't run, take your time. I walk up and I pull his pants down. Now, when I pull his pants down, and he did have like pullable pants, mm. I grabbed his underwear. I didn't know this, and dude, in the middle of the mall, I literally butt-ass pulled his pants down. <laughs> now, he goes, we're going to get arrested, and he was so embarrassed, and like, they have a, a bunch of producers, camera people, then all of a sudden, he like freaks out, and he's like, I want all those tapes, oh right? God. And so like, everyone first goes to laugh, and then everyone gets quiet, because he's also a boss, producer of the show, and then he turns to me, and goes, dude. Like, I go, I'm sorry, I didn't know, like, you're, I did that. And he's like, I don't want everyone to see my small penis, like, in the middle of the mall. And we're just laughing. And uh, anyway, there's there hasn't been any uh, leaked footage of that. My two favorite parts of that whole thing, again, social media. There's one where literally, because people send you screen caps, I'm bent over. He has his pants off, but it's a shot behind him. So it looks like for some reason I'm uh, basically giving him a blowjob in the middle of a mall. <laughs> and I was just like, no, but that's like the, the literal like, it's not what it sees, it, it appears, but that's what the picture looks like. And then there's another one of me doing it and there's like, a 10-year-old boy and an 11-year-old girl just sitting there like this, like looking at it and they're like, those poor kids, like for some reason they went to the mall with their parents and yet... Here comes this mean person. He just pants to another rest, another person in the middle of the mall. It's like the two worst pictures you ever want out there. Can I ask you a question? One last thing. I know I wanted to be done, but I just remember Keep something. going. No problem. You said Joey Styles is your friend, yes? Yes. How do you feel about how you said how JBL treated him? Uh, they squashed all their heat. They had a physical altercation, and it was over and done with. Joey Styles should still be in wrestling. And again, social media. It pisses me off that Joey Styles is not in wrestling. But he was attacked by the mob on social media for no reason. And it was made bigger than it really was. It was a joke. And first of all, you shouldn't get fired from a independent wrestling company you just don't get booked and Joey's out of wrestling for good because he he's a Joey Styles is a great person and the fact that he's not in business is in the wrestling business than justice to the business but Joey uh kind of ha- was just like done with it cuz he almost lost his real job because of something in fake pro wrestling he made a he made a uh joke a, about Trump is that the one you yeah. talking about and it was, he never, he like, people then flipped the script on Joey and made him like he was like this horrible person about, and even the joke was lost. The world we live in at times when we talk about educating your kids, um, when comedians have to make apologies for jokes, there is a moral uh, responsibility, yes, but if you're at a comedy show at times I think all bets are off I went and saw Jerry Seinfeld in when I was a kid in in Florida he did clean I also went to Madison Square Garden to see Andrew Dice Clay perform back in the day and I was just it was the greatest thing I ever saw 
Andrew Dice Clay could never exist in today's world with his comedy. Mm-hmm. Yes, you need to be um, different, but you know, you just you so have to watch what you say. But you're in comedy, so then that affects that genre, and that's wrong. So he made a joke uh, with the ring announcer. Yes, mm-hmm. and. It's obviously a joke, but what were people saying that it was insensitive? Because do you think do you think it was more because it looked like he because it was Trump? If you understand, because the whole yes. thing's revolving. Well, Trump. then it just the the guy who, who the boss at the time he went online and said he fired him, and then it just blew up even more. Like it it became a big deal when it was nothing. It literally was, and then the fact that. But he he's okay because then, like what I said before, he's okay in his life. And you know who suffers? The wrestling fans. Not that I, you know, just think about what he could do to, for a wrestling company uh, if he was being an announcer somewhere. And it just, it sucks because people take one thing, you get uh, upset about it, and then he almost lost his real job. He got called in by his real boss because they said he was... Uh, and it was he was like I never said that, but it's it's what is that he said she said telephone game yeah, and he had a and they're like oh wait this was in wrestling, and then he was like yeah but like think about like hey your boss wants to talk to you and then he literally had to go oh it's in wrestling, and then he was like realized well is wrestling gonna could this ever happen again, you know or we talk about wrestling think of go back and watch any Jesse Ventura Gorilla Monsoon Bobby Heenan commentary, poof. Some of the stuff that they would say, you can't say. Times has changed. You, you have no clue. Like, I if you made a joke about a girl being slutty. Oh, God. Exactly. Yeah. Ric Flair, if you had a character as Ric Flair today, wouldn't you think you'd have a bunch of groups saying Ric Flair slept with hundreds of women uh, every day, or he slept with a different woman every day. Yes. Ric Flair's this horrible person. Yeah, he was a heel. He was portraying that. If that really was Ric Flair's life, cool. Great for Ric Flair. But, I mean, you talk about, you know, I don't know, is groupie a popular word anymore? <laughs> no, it's like you have to be so... I, I wouldn't know how to date in today's world. Like, I really would. Like, how do you go up to a girl? Hi, I, I think you're attractive. How dare you say I'm attractive? Like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm serious. It would be hard. Thank God I don't have to. Plus, look at me. I'm pretty gross. So, do you think that, um, 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 real quick, and I'm done, because um, things keep coming to my mind while you talk, uh, greatest wrestler to you would be whom? I don't have one. Greatest, uh, greatest wrestler is different. Man, there's different categories. I'll, I'll tell you. Man, I don't have one. Where do you put Austin at? As far as would you put him in the greatest entertainer? Well, Steve is awesome at everything he does. Same with the you know, The Rock. <clears throat> My generation, you know, I got to see Hulk Hogan in his heyday. I got to see Steve Austin. I got to see The Rock. Um, another guy who's sadly never put in this category: The Undertaker. How he, is he? Is he's not in that same category. People will never put. It's. Uh, Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair. Those are the first two Yeah. for the 80s. Mm-hmm. Then it's the Attitude Era, but most people do not throw 
Undertaker's name in there. They, they usually say Austin and The Rock. They won't say Triple H. They won't Shawn Michaels. They'll say Shawn. But, like, Undertaker gets lost. I don't know if it's because he's a gimmick, but Undertaker's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. He is. We celebrate him, but we celebrated him differently. And if you, okay, and let me ask you this. Let me flip the script on you. You had your choice today. You have, you're going to have, you have opportunity to interview Steve Austin, The Rock, or The Undertaker. Who are you picking? There you go. So that right then there, he's not the greatest, The Undertaker. I just proved you. See? Give me a sound bite, G-Money. Let's Yo. go! <laughs> oh, wait. That, uh, wow. Wow. All right. Well, I'm done. Yeah. That's, this is, uh, you know, uh, g- g- give everyone your, 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 your new podcast and anything coming up uh, we can look forward to. Uh, hang on one second. Oh, Triple sorry. H is pretty good. Triple H is real good, actually. Triple H is a great... You know who I like, too? It might sound a little crazy. No, no, it shouldn't sound crazy, but... Randy Orton, to me, is a good... He's... How can I say it? I don't know. He sells the whole Viper thing, right? The whole... If you understand what I'm saying, Mm -hmm. Tyree, like... Bad guy. I like him... He, he just said, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you get what I'm saying. You could. Yeah. Randy's great. Wrestled him. He's awesome. And that's why he has longevity. What about his character, though? The character. It's the great. Viper? Yeah. And again, social media, he's smart about it. CM Punk was smart about it. Yes, yeah, very, yeah. So. Yeah. All right, I got to get wrap it up. I'm getting yelled at right now. Yes, nah, it's Tom. Yeah, so give everyone your social media, you know, the podcast. I'm the Tommy Dreamer across the board and the House of Hardcore podcast. And thank you guys for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. Appreciate it. All right, so uh, round of applause one time. Tommy Jr., man, dope episode. Classic. Shout out to all the wrestling fans out there. Uh, make sure y'all follow the pages at DJG1156, at Queensflip with a Z, at Flip the Script Pod. Uh, no sponsors today. I, I don't want you to get you upset two nights in a row, so I took a break. You know I mean, yeah, yeah, because I mean, you make all the money, <laughs> I don't make nothing. Um, yo, this Queensflip, man, dope, dope episode, man. Shout out to my man B in here. Brian, I appreciate you, man, to connect. You know what I mean? Real talk. You know what I'm saying? You're making it happen. Shout out to the whole team, everybody in the building. Um, we kept Tommy here long and long enough. Um, but I love this episode. Dope. Dope. And to see a different side. And I think I was able to get some different things out of Tommy that he didn't talk about in this podcast, which is good. You know, and hopefully he talks about us and say, you know, I was with these two guys that flipped the script. And, you know, this one guy, Queen's Flip, tried to really get to me but I didn't let him because I'm the dreamer I'm Tommy Dreamer but remember man lock your doors close your windows close your blinds open your blinds and if you see a guy like Tommy Dreamer on your lawn let him in he doesn't mean any harm but be aware because he may throw you through a table I'm from Queens (laughs)